0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball.
3: This is A's Cast Live,
2: your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
3: Twenty-nine other MLB clubs. Two-two pitch on Trout, and he
4: blasts one way back. Go
3: The Tony Bellinger hits one out. He on. So he's your home run derby champion.
2: Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town only on A's Cast
3: Live. A's Cast Live.
2: Here's Chris Townsend.
3: But yes, the news today was very tough. And I know a lot of people have weighed in, whether watching MLB Network or Twitter, Instagram, you name it, on the great Hank Aaron. And it is sad that we have lost him at 86 years old. But 86, that's a long life. That's a full life. And MLB Network was just showing, you know, just last year I want to say it was in December, an interview that they were doing with him. And I want to celebrate the man. Because what he did in his life and what he did in his career and really how he carried himself throughout the entire time uh, of his career and then what he did for so many people once he was out of baseball. This man was a legend. And I have said this on the show before. And I know in the Bay Area we have had some great players. I know in the A's fan base everybody likes to say Ricky Henderson's the greatest of all time. And you go across the Bay and they're going to give you they're going to give you Mays, they're going to give you Bonds. I have said multiple times on this show if I had to take one guy who I think is the greatest player of all time and I think everything about his career backs it up. I believe it's Henry Aaron. You take steroids out of the equation. No one hit more home runs. No one drove in more RBIs. And he's third in hits. I think that's the thing. If you really don't study the history of Hank Aaron. I mean, think about what we, when, when, when we talk about Pete Rose and Ty Cobb and the, third is Henry Aaron. It's truly amazing. When you look at his career stats, the man had 3,771 hits to go along with all those home runs, to go along with all those RBIs. Nobody has more total bases at 6,856. And the great thing about analytics, what we saw today on MLB Now, if you're a big baseball fan and you get a chance or just set it on your DVR, MLB Now, hosted by our friend Brian Kenny is the most analytical, most in-depth baseball show that there is on MLB Network anywhere in the game. On any channel, anywhere where they talk baseball. And they started going into, like, how underrated in so many areas he was, and one of the reasons why... And I'm not throwing shade on Willie Mays because Willie Mays is one of the greatest players of all time, too. You know, that that that's the thing I like to say about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was once asked, and I got to tell you that, I, I got to interview Kareem one time. It was so special because the guy is such, wow. I mean, he's such an intellect. He's so far beyond like what I'll, I'll ever be. Uh, uh, Kareem is a very special human being. But Kareem talked about, they asked him, you know, when you start talking about Russell and Chamberlain and all these guys, are you the greatest center of all time? He said, you know what, I'm not going to answer that. I'm just going to say if there's a conversation about who's the greatest, I got to be in it. And that's why I was like, I mean, we don't know. Guys are different eras. Eras change. Everything changed as, as human beings evolve. So, I mean, yeah, if you're talking about greatest player of all time, of course Ricky Henderson is going to be in the conversation. And Babe Ruth's going to be in the conversation. And Ted Williams is going to be in the conversation. Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, like they're all going to be, the, the, there's the greats. We talk about there's the Hall of Famers and then there's the Hall of Famers. But to me, listening to Brian Kinney today really backed up how I've always felt. Hank Aaron was a terrific right fielder. Now, it's not a premium up, up the middle position, even though when he came into baseball, he was a shortstop. And as we know, best athletes normally are put at shortstop, and then they move them, and they moved him. You know, he started in left field, went to right field. But they started doing, like, baseball analytics, the way he took first to third, second to home. He was incredible. He had unbelievable instincts. He had a good arm. There was nothing he could not do. But he played in an era with Willie Mays, who's doing all that flashy stuff, in center field. But Hank Aaron, from a standpoint of an offensive force, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like him again. We've seen guys hit home runs. We've seen guys drive in runs. But we've never seen the combination of being able to put the ball in play at such an incredible rate and hit home runs. And do it for 23 years. Once you think about that, where we live right now in the three true outcome world, home run, strikeout, walk, Henry Aaron hit home runs, didn't strike out and ripped the hell out of the baseball time in and time out. You look at, I mean, this guy led the league in hits. This guy led the league in runs. I don't know if you can have a package that's so complete like you had with Henry Aaron. It really is when you go to his baseball reference page. It's so mind-numbing what he did year after year after year in everything. It's just not home runs. It's just not doubles. It's just, it's, it's runs. I mean, he did everything. And then the thing that has always stood out with me about Henry Aaron is, and it's something we'll talk to Billy Owens about coming up here at one It's why I want expanded postseason. Now the curmudgeons of the game. Now I don't want my expanded. Post-season. This is why you need expanded postseason. It gets more of the great players showcased in our game. It's a travesty that Henry Aaron got to play in the postseason twice in his prime. Now, it wasn't even his prime. He was 23 and 24. And then later would show up with the Atlanta Braves in the postseason. He was 35 years old. But I I, I, want, I want to read these numbers to you. As a guy that only got to play in 17 postseason games, And this is kind of the thing that we get in with Mike Trout now about him not getting into the postseason. Henry Aaron played in 17 postseason games. And this is kind of the difference. You know, Willie Mays didn't get into a ton of postseason, but Willie Mays wasn't very good in postseason. Once again, Willie's one of the greats, not throwing shade, but I'm honoring Hank Aaron today. Hank Aaron played in 17 postseason games. In those 17 postseason games, he had a 1,116 OPS. That's crazy. In those 17 games, he hit three sixty-two. In those 17 games, he had six home runs, 16 RBIs, and scored 11 runs. He had 25 hits in those 17 games. So the very little amount of time that Hank Aaron got the opportunity to play in the postseason. He just didn't play well. He played great. He played great. And they took down the New York, the bad New York Yankees. They took the the Milwaukee Braves, took down the big, bad Yankees in 1957 when he was 23 years old. Remember, they only got to, you know, you, you played one series, that was it. How many people in the history of baseball, when they took on the New York Yankees in the World Series, hit three ninety three against them in a seven-game series? I bet not many. And we're going to go over his career today. And we're going to talk about the greatness that is Mobile, Alabama, and all the unbelievable players that came out of there, Hall of Famers. He integrated the South Atlantic League. We'll talk about his charity, what he did for kids in the South, and especially in Atlanta, and what a treasury was in Atlanta for all those years. I want to talk to you about the one time I interviewed him. You know, he was very, when you enter, you know you know how I, I, I talk fast and I got that energy, right? That's not how Henry Aaron, Henry Aaron was very composed. And he was such a gentleman. And I'll talk about the time, I, the one time I got to interview him. But, you know, they showed today on MLB Network, I think it was. Can't remember what the adduction ceremony, like when he gets introduced. Like there's certain, like him and Mays and certain guys, when they get introduced at the Baseball Hall of Fame late July at the induction ceremonies, you can tell by the crowd and you can tell by the other Hall of Famers. When these guys get introduced, it's a whole different ballgame. And Henry Aaron's legacy, as we have the Henry Aaron Award, which I'm glad we produced, because too many times when they were voting for MVP, it was like, Who's got the best numbers? Well, that's not necessarily, you know. You know, Andre Dawson having great numbers, finishing in last place with the Chicago Cubs. He should not be the MVP. And it's nothing against the Hawk. And that's why I'm glad they created the Hank Aaron Award so you could essentially honor the guy who had the best year. Like Alex Rodriguez killing it down in Texas, winning the MVP, and they're in last place, shouldn't be getting the MVP. What's he valuable? What's his value? No, he had great numbers. You need a set, and I'm glad they did that. Now that at the World Series, we can give you the Hank Aaron Award. I'd rather give the MVP to somebody who was a part of winning, who was a part of have, getting their team success. It's just not about the best numbers. Whoever has it, and the best numbers could be the MVP, the guy that you know had an unbelievable year and got his team to the postseason. That's fine. You can win both. But I'm glad we created a Hank Aaron award to say, okay, you statistically had the best year, even though your team was five hundred, below five hundred, whatever. Commander Cody, how are you today?
4: You know, I, I woke up this morning and the first thing I thought of was when I saw this news, I sent it over to you because, you know, we both agree that Henry Aaron is the greatest baseball player of all time. I I will say that as much as I love uh, the trajectory that Mike Trout is on right now, and I I'll go over it later, breaking down their. Have uh, to leave Ruth out. Yeah, of course. But if, if you know,
3: and, and just not statistically. And the thing about you know Ruth, what a lot of people have to understand is that when Babe Ruth was playing, the economy was struggling, teams were struggling. Babe Ruth would show up to town for three games, it would sell out and it would keep franchises afloat. So when we talk about the greatest of all time, Babe Ruth is always going to be on the phone because wasn't for that guy, who knows what the sport would have looked like.
4: Yeah. And I, and I agree Well, for what Babe Ruth did for baseball, the home runs, just everything. He was a larger than life personality too from everything we've heard about him, you know, going back to the legendary stories back in the twenties and thirties with him, but to Henry Aaron, just, you know, 23 years in the major league baseball, 20 of them. He had 20 or more home runs, which is just remarkable. Um, he's like 112th all time in strikeouts. He had more walks and strikeouts in his career, which, you know, in today's age in baseball, we see way more strikeouts and walks. Let's be honest. And just everything he did off the field is truly makes him an, an icon. I mean, for what he did for Atlanta, for what he's done, for the game of baseball. Um, when he broke the home run record in 1974, and um, we'll get to the call from the great Vin Scully who called the, who had the call, Vin Scully, Vin's call was incredible. You know, just explaining the environment, the temperature, what's going on in the South and Atlanta, uh, everything that Hank Aaron did for every everyone down in the South and the African-American community with the way he played in baseball and what he did in the South and in, in Atlanta transcended the game for, for everyone. And, it's really sad because, you know, he's 86 years old and, you know, he lived a great life. And, you know, he just did that interview with MLB Network last month. I think it was December 8th he did it with uh, Tom Verducci and others on the network. And it was great. He still sounded good. You know, he was answering questions. He had a good sense of humor. He's laughing, having fun. Like, it's it's, it's, it's a sad day because we lost an all-time great. And I remember when he did that, that game on ESPN, what, like two years ago on Sunday Night Baseball? He was still – I mean, he was good then. Back when he was a couple of years younger, I was like, wait, 84, but – uh, Hank Aaron, the numbers, everything he's done. You, I mean, you go through and look. I mean, the the years he led the league in doubles, he did it four different times, leading the league in doubles. I said twenty home runs in twenty different years out of the twenty three years he played. Um, the OPS, the OPS pluses numbers he put up. Um, you, you mentioned that the total bases, the six thousand eight hundred fifty six. That's seven hundred twenty two more than second place, the great Stan Musial. So, uh, Hank Aaron was one of a kind. And I don't think we're going to see a player like him uh, ever again. Because you take away the 755 home runs that he hit, he still has 3, 000, over 3,000 career hits. So he wasn't just a home run hitter, as you mentioned. He started all time in hits. You take away those home runs, he still has over 3,000 hits that aren't home runs. That's truly remarkable for a player to be able to do that that's not you know Ty Cobb or uh, Pete Rowe. So... Uh, baseball lost a true legend today, but we'll always remember him for everything he's done. And, you know, the numbers he has and his legacy will live on forever.
3: Yeah, everybody reaching out, talking about him today. I'm looking at a tweet from Bill Russell, also a pioneer and one of the great champions in the history of American sports. And uh, you just think about everything. You know, Joe Torrey told a story about uh, down at spring training where they built a brand-new hotel, but African-Americans weren't allowed to stay there. So the whole team decided, you know what, we're up and out of here and went to, like, Palmetto or something like that and stayed in a motel so they could all eat together and be as a team. You know, different times. And, you know, what these guys went through from Jackie Robinson all the way through these players and even what players deal with today. You know, I read this story. I don't know when I read this story. But it was a story about, it might have been today, I don't know. But because there's been so much information out there about how Hank Aaron left school to go watch Jackie Robinson speak in Mobile, Alabama and how much that inspired him. You know, he he, he, he left his house with like two sandwiches and two bucks in his pocket and turned up being an American hero. Baseball's far, professional sports are far different from when we're talking way back then, man, as he played in the Negro League for the Clowns. That's why I think if everybody, if you ever, if you ever get a chance to go to Kansas City, enjoy the barbecue, uh, but go to the Negro League Museum, it really is inspiring. It really teaches you so much about part of baseball's history. You know, I think you need to go to Cooperstown, and I think you need to go to the Negro League Museum. It teaches you so much. And Henry Aaron just, you know, there's certain people that in their life, they understand who they are and they're comfortable with it. And it's never a look at me, look at me. It's how now can I use my platform to help other people? And that's who Henry Aaron was. Henry Aaron was not a guy that was about, hey, I'm the home run king. You know, he wasn't ever, you know, you know, as Pete Rose has, you know, hit King on his collar of his of his shirts and constantly just promoting himself, and it's all about Pete Rose. Hank Aaron was never that guy. Hank Aaron, once his career was over, because his last year was, and you know, I mean, I would have been, what, nineteen seventy six? I would have been four years old. Um I mean, he spent the rest of his life looking out and trying to help other people. I I, I mean, he, he's a great American example of how we all should be. He created the foundation called Chasing the Dream and helping young kids and getting grants and helping kids get to college. He didn't sit there and try to sign baseball cards and go to go, you know, chasing money and and puffing his chest out about who he was. And he worked for the Braves for many years, one point running their minor league system. But he always realized his platform can help other people. And in today's world where athletes have gone with social media and everything, and it's me, 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 I, 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 it's about my brand. That's not who he was. You know, I, I don't think he was ever at a casino greeting people. I don't believe that happened. I'm not for sure, knowing that some athletes used to do that. Hey, they're trying to make a living. I get it. But that's not who Henry Aaron, Henry Aaron was. He was absolute class. And we will go over some of the awards. They're, they're awards far from baseball. And that era of players, as you mentioned, Stan the Man and Willie Mays, I mean, you're talking about there was this era of when these guys played, when you look at those All-Star games and you look at those rosters and it's a who's who and so many Hall of Famers and so many great players, not saying we don't have that today, but they had an era of baseball where you just go down the line, and even the guys that didn't make the Hall of Fame, you look at those All-Star games, and you're just going, my God. And those guys played the entire All-Star game, so you had you had All-Stars. You had, you had well, obviously they're All-Stars. It's the All-Star game. But you had guys who were terrific players sit the bench and didn't even get in the game. That's how good those All-Star games were back then, and they played the game to play it. I mean, it meant something, because, na- you know, National League guys and American League guys, they stayed in those leagues their entire career. Those leagues were different, if you remember. You had a commissioner, and then you had presidents in each league. The leagues were separate. So the National League and the American League, those all-star games, they meant something. And guys like Willie Mays and Stan Musial, Hank Aaron, they played the whole game. Mickey Mantle, it was it was, it was, was a far different than guys pulling out and doing selfies at second base. But I want to celebrate this man's life because his life is, uh, and I get back to it—a baseball life. I'm trying to give. I'm trying to give MLB the idea. Copy the NFL. It's been so successful. A football life, we see them all the time. They're phenomenal. We need to do something on a baseball life. Can you imagine doing a thing on, and the amount, uh, I mean, you're putting on Willie Mays, Joe Torrey, you know, all the way, Dusty Baker. I mean, think about Dusty Baker's great relationship with Henry Aaron.
4: Yeah, he po- he posted, a the Astros posted a statement. I'll see if I can find it for what he had to say. He pretty much said, I remember him saying something along the lines that, you know, Henry Aaron was like a was like the second closest person to besides his father when he was, you know, through his career. So it just shows you the relationship that he had. Just some of the guys that were on those teams, too, Dusty Baker, Joe Torrey, um, you know, Phil Necro. This is the guys that he played with. Um, there's so many Hall of Famers he played with. And then I was looking up his numbers that against Hall of Fame pitchers alone, just Hall of Fame pitchers alone, I will share. Uh, can you guess which Hall of Fame pitcher he hit the most home runs off of?
3: well it can't be Warren Spahn because they were teammates I got to believe at one point
4: uh he has no home runs off Warren Spawn, but he in six career at bats he's hitting 333
3: <laughs> I'm not gonna say Bob Gibson that's I just
4: uh eight home runs off Bob Gibson
3: but that's not it no, right? that's, third, no that's third that's third Hall of Fame pitcher from that time that he ripped, and he'd have to be a national leaguer. No way is it Koufax? He didn't pitch long enough.
4: Uh, he had seven career home runs off Koufax and hit 362 off of him.
3: He hit 362 off Sandy Koufax? Yeah,
4: and 116 career at bats. He was 42 of 116 with seven homers, 16 RBIs, and 14 walks to 12 strikeouts.
3: I'm going to go Don Drysdale. <laughs>
4: That's correct. Seven, <laughs> 17 home runs off Don Drysdale and 221 at-bats, uh, 267 career batting average. Now, wait,
3: the- a he hit 362 against Sandy Koufax?
4: Yeah, the, the uh, highest batting yeah. average he hit off of anyone and more than that number of bats was Koufax. And then if you look at someone over 100 at-bats, he hit 294 against Gaylord Perry. There's Some guys had less than 100 at-bat, so I'm not going to qualify them. Yeah, you want
3: to face – because Gaylord, you know, flip-flop, because Gaylord was obviously a partner, was a teammate yeah. of uh, Ray Fossey <laughs> with the Cleveland Indians.
4: Do You want to know something? Speaking of Fosse, you want to know something Fossey and, and uh, the uh, Hall of Famer Hank Aaron share in common? They both own Nolan Ryan in their career. Uh, Ray Fossey, a three thirty three career hitter against the great Nolan Ryan – and Hank Aaron is a 324 career hitter against Nolan Ryan with two home runs. So they both owned Nolan Ryan in their career. So we'll have to bring that up with Fosse.
3: How many at bats does he have against Nolan? Because remember, Nolan went from the the Mets, Mets to, the Angels. to the California Angels. He
4: hit forty-one at plate appearances, so thirty seven at bats. Fosse had twenty seven at bats against Nolan Ryan. So he
3: would have got when did Nolan Ryan get to the Astros?
4: That was the '80s, maybe. Yeah, i will pull up his page right now. Um, of course, it's sorry, it's going to it's going to bring up. I clicked on his name, and it's bring up every
3: career bat Ray Fosse ever had against Nolan Ryan. <laughs> so this would have all been off Nolan Ryan as a New York Met. Because Ryan left in nineteen, and Ryan went to the Angels in seventy two and played through seventy nine. Hank was done in nineteen seventy six. So a young Nolan Ryan with the New York Mets could not get out Henry Aaron.
4: Uh, no, he could not, and he, well, either could Sandy Koufax. So uh, that shows you. I can't
3: wait. To, I can't wait to ask Ray about that. He hit three sixty two against Sandy. Koufax. That. I wonder for like X amount of plate appearances, is that the best against Sandy Koufax all time?
4: Uh, let me, give me a second. I'll pull up Sandy, pull up Sandy Koufax. I can do that for you.
3: And we're going to get to assistant general manager, Billy Owens next. Billy's like our baseball historian slash assistant general manager.
4: Um, So a baseball reference completely overhauled their, uh, the way they do their stat heads for advanced stats, but I'm on Sandy's page right now against. So Sandy Koufax versus Hall of Famers. Um, it looks like in the most, yeah, it was Henry Aaron. Henry Aaron uh, had played appearances wise. He had 130. The next highest, the only guy that had more was the great Ernie Banks. And Ernie Banks only had uh, 173 against them. But remember, 362 Henry Aaron versus Sandy Koufax.
3: That's insane. Yeah, we got some very sad news about one of uh, the great pitchers in the history of baseball, Don Sutton, Hall of Famer, passing away at the age of 75 in his sleep. I got to tell you, if there's any way to go, <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the way to go. But uh, at 75, we still like to think of that as too young. But what a career that he had. Um, 16 of his 23 years were with, with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Took him a while to get into the baseball hall of fame, which was absolutely ridiculous when you have 324 wins, a 3.26 era, a career 66.7 war. I just the fact that it took him a while to get the hall of fame is just a joke, but just I mean, year after year after I mean, look at the game started from the time he was 21 years old, Cody. He started 35 games at the age of 21. And then it's 34, 27, 41, 38, 37, 33, 33, 40, 35, 34, 33, 34, 32, 31. A couple years later, 34. I mean, I mean, and then he had a span as, again, he's now 38 years old. He's still starting 31, 33, 34. With the A's, he started 29 when he went 13 and 8. I mean, that's amazing when you talk about a workhorse pitcher who just took the ball constantly and gave you all those starts and won 324 games and a career ERA. Like, you know, you think as you get older, the ERA goes up, but still a career ERA of 3.26. This man was a great pitcher and, you know, Everybody in the game loved him. He was a terrific ball uh, uh, broadcaster. It's truly one of those, as I talk about it, and I wish MLB Network would do it, you know, a baseball life. You think of the teams that that, that he broadcasts for. I wish they would do that, because Don Sutton would be a great one when you talk about a baseball life.
4: You know, Colin Braves' games most recently, you know, what he's been doing, you know, and that's a good staff they have there with uh, Chip Correa and, and – um, um, Tom Glavin and others that are work on the bro- the Braves broadcast. Chip
3: Harry, did you show
4: Chip Carey? Harry, uh, sorry, Harry Carey's grandson. My mistake. Um, right, like, like uh, the,
3: the Cuban outfielder who you have as a French Robert.
4: Yeah, Luis Robert, uh, who's playing for the White Sox. Uh, the great, the greatest French outfielder ever. But if you look at Don Sutton's numbers, even when he was forty-two years old, he threw thirty. He went, he had thirty-four starts. He went 11-11, but forty-two years old, he had thirty-four starts we can't even get guys to go 34 starts at age 25 and Sutton's doing it at age, at age 42. So kudos to him. I mean, the 300 win, I mean, he's in the hall of fame, but you know, you look at you, people go through his numbers and go, Oh, you know, he didn't win a world series. Well, it's, it doesn't matter. He won 300 games. He was an all-star. Um, he was an ERA title. Um, the guy's a legend. And he left his, left us too soon, but that's just another hall of famer sadly in the last year that we've lost. Um, you know, between Gibson and you know um, Al Kaline and you know the list goes on. Tom Seaver, there's been too many this past year, and, and Don Sutton's just now added to the list. Unfortunately,
3: how many ballots? As I read those numbers off to you, because strikeouts, you love the three thousand strikeout club, right? Oh, uh, uh, absolutely, yes. So he had three thousand five hundred and seventy-four strikeouts. I mentioned all those starts. 324 wins, a 3.26 career ERA. Like, if that guy's on the ballot now, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's no question. But how they used to judge it back then is a whole different deal. How many ballots do you think he was on? Well, it's not fair because I have his baseball
4: reference page open, but I'll just, I didn't look. Um, I would say...
3: 300 and... 58 or something like that. No, just... no, no. How many – I should let me ask a better question. How many years did it take to get him in?
4: Oh, his final year was uh, – what, what year was it? Like 1980 – 1988? It took 15. No, it's
3: 1998.
4: No, no, I'm saying his final year was 1988 in the league. Because so you figure five years after that, we –
3: Wikipedia is wrong on this, then, because they got him going in in 1988 – uh, it, it was five ballots. It took him five ballots to get on.
4: Yeah, they they have him going. His final game was 1988. His final year was 1988, so five years later it would be 93. So, yeah, it took five years for him to get in in okay. 1998. The, yeah, the, that's right. The, that does, it, does it tell I, many, I, does it tell you how many
3: ballots he was on out of the writers? Uh, let me see. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, he got 81.6%. Yeah,
4: 386 out of a possible 473
3: ballots Don Sutton was on. He was in a rotation that had Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, Claude Osteen back when he had a four-man rotation. We'll talk to Ray Fossey about this coming up here at 2.30. But, I mean, what an amazing career. His number 20 is retired by the Dodgers. He's in the Braves Hall of Fame. I guess the Dodgers don't have a Hall of Fame, that seems which odd. is which, yeah, which seems odd. You think of all the great players that they've had from Brooklyn to L.A., that they would have some kind of killer Hall of Fame. I mean, it's one of the things that, you know, we talked about, and it's one of the great accomplishments for Dave Cavill, as our fan base has said for a year, hey, look at all the great players, all the Hall of Famers we have. Why don't we have a Hall of Fame? Dave Cavill made that happen. We now have a Hall of Fame.
4: Yeah, i just look there. They don't it looks like they don't have one. It just says, you know, list of Dodgers players in the Hall of Fame, like the actual baseball hall of fame and museum, but it doesn't look like the Dodgers actually have one, which is just remarkable for all the history they have from playing in Brooklyn, like you said, to, to now in LA and just like you know, starting pitchers and just the starting pitchers alone. Their starting rotation is ridiculous with you know, you've Koufax and Sutton and um uh um Kershaw's not in the Hall of Fame, but this is the guys they've had throughout the time. Kershaw, um, Fernando Mania. They've had so many good starting pitchers go through that organization. It's a truly remarkable uh, level of success they were able to sustain. And Don Sutton, back in the day when he pitched with Drysdale and, and
3: Koufax, was no different. He pitched from 1966 to 1988. My San Jose State, Matt, is that 23 years?
4: Yes. 1966 to 1988. Be 23 years. Yes, that's correct.
3: Wow. Can you imagine pitching in Major League Baseball for 23 years? Guys are happy for a couple years.
4: And he spent 16 of his years with the Dodgers, which is remarkable. So almost, what, you know. Yeah, about three quarters of his career, he spent with the Dodgers. So it's not like a guy where he played half his year here and then you know eight years there and then two years here. 16 years with the Dodgers, three with the Angels, three with the Brewers, two with the Astros, one with the A's.
3: So he was thirteen and eight with a three point eight nine ERA, twenty nine starts, and one hundred and ninety four and two third and uh, a third innings for the Oakland Athletics when he was 40 years old. So he must have been traded from the California Angels, where he was 2-2, and to the Oakland Athletics, or vice versa. Let's look at his Wikipedia. Because I would have been not even high school at that point. Where are we, Don Sutton, late in your career? 1985. Sutton was traded to the Oakland Athletics in exchange for Ray Burris. He was reluctant to report to the team as he was hoping to play for a team in Southern California so that he could live at home with his family, understandably. But yeah, we have lost so many good greatness, some great players. Billy-O, it's always great to have you on. How are you in the Valley of the Sun? Johnny, what's up, man? Great. It's uh, 72 degrees and sunny, so I'm doing
5: outstanding.
3: You know, today you're a baseball historian, let alone an assistant general manager and everything you've done in this game as a player, uh, but you are a historian. I don't think there's anybody that really knows this game in and out better than you, and we lost a true legend today. We lost a guy that when you look at a Mount Rushmore of Major League Baseball players, Hank Aaron is up there, truly one of the great. I mean, we can talk about him off the field, what a gentleman uh, the way he carried himself with such class, and what he meant to the Braves organization, what he meant to baseball, and truly, when you just look at the body of the work, one of the greatest baseball players, if not the greatest, who has ever lived.
5: Yeah, funny you said that, Tony I mean, when you when you talk about Mount Rushmore of baseball, uh, Henry Lewis Aaron is firmly entrenched, no matter how you, um, however they. Um, They uh, crave the Rockings up there because, I mean, if you look at Henry Aaron's career, you're talking about a man that had 755 home runs, and you take away all 755 home runs from his docket, he still has over 3,000 hits. You're talking about a man that that won batting titles, gold gloves, a consistent base runner. And I go back to, you know, knowing the history of the game, um, I read Maury Wills' book, I remember, like all the way back uh, about 20 years ago. And he really captured the 60s and his era. Uh, It was unbelievable. And when he talked about they'd have a meeting going over the hitters, you know, Frank Robinson, Cepeda, Willie Mays. And so Koufax and Drysdale, um, they would lead those meetings. And when it came down to, to Hank Aaron, the room would get quiet Uh, You couldn't hear a pin drop, and they would say um, there there was no way to pitch him. So uh, when he hits his, just make sure nobody's on base.
3: The thing that I always like to tell people, and it's the thing for me that sets him apart really from everybody else in the history of the game, because you take steroids out of the game, he would still be number one in home runs. He is number one in RBIs, but what people don't really realize that only Pete Rose and Ty Cobb have more hits than him. We have never seen a combination of power and the ability to get hits like this guy. Billy, oh, he's third all-time in hits. That's crazy. Yeah, Doc, Hank's
5: third all-time in hits, and he's actually number one in extra base hits. And if you go back to the '60s, you know the era where he really played the majority of his career, that was a pitching-dominated era. It was Koufax, Drysdale, Bob Gibson, Denny McClain, um, Juan Marichal, etc. I mean, that's in 1968 they lowered the mound because pitching dominated, and so through that time at all the grades that they on the in the batter's box, Clemente, uh, Frank Robinson, so on and so forth. I mean, all those guys will still tell you during that time, during that era, the consistency, the excellence, uh, nobody could match uh, Henry Lewis Aaron.
3: You know, Billy o, one of the reasons why I like expanded playoffs is we get more of the great players into the postseason. I think Henry Aaron is a great example. Ted Williams, Ernie Banks, you know, certain guys who had limited time in the postseason. I mean, you look at Hank Aaron in the postseason, he was an absolute monster. Played 57, 58, and then even at the age of 35, got in quickly with the Braves when they were in Atlanta in 1969. In 17 games. In the postseason, he had six home runs, 16 RBIs, hit 362, 1,116 OPS. He was an absolute monster. And of course, his Braves took down the Yankees in 1957. Isn't this a great way to look at why we need expanded postseason so we can have more of the great players in the postseason more often?
5: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if you look at it back then and not to I mean, those guys were titans, uh, Ted Williams, Willie Mays. And so in their era, you know, the Yankees pretty much, you know, they got, they made the world series almost every year, but you had American league and you had national league and only one team from each side, whoever won the pennant, there was no other thing precluding the, uh, there was no playoffs back then. So either one dependent got to the world series or, um, if you didn't win the pennant, you were going home. And so, going back to 2020, you know, seeing the expanded playoffs, I um, mean, it was great in Oakland. You know, we got a chance to we won that, we won the division, won a playoff series this year. And then after, and after we bowed out, I honestly sat on my couch here and watched every single out of the postseason. You know, once I got over us not being in it anymore, the thrill, the excitement. I watched every out, man. It, it was I couldn't wait to, you know, take my afternoon walk or exercise. And when the playoff game started, to see the riveting drama, uh, the pitch by tw- pitch, the sequencing, the strategy, and all that tremendous talent. So, yeah, the more the merrier, man. I mean, it's um, we got the NFL Championship Sunday coming up. And I can't wait to, to, to see Tom Brady go toe-to-toe against Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the Bills Mafia uh, lock up hopefully with Pat Mahomes. And so, yeah, it's um, when you get down to the nitty-gritty and uh, one side goes home and the other goes on for the championship, uh, it's pretty exciting.
3: Uh, this past weekend, as you're watching it, if people don't know, uh, Billy Owens was a hell of a quarterback at, at Bellarmine Prep and then went to the University of Arizona where he was both a football and baseball player. As a former quarterback, when you were watching that game between Tampa Bay and the New Orleans Saints, I know I was. I was like, these guys are in their 40s. Or was there at any point we you're going, my God, I can't believe these guys are still playing at this level?
5: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's, it's amazing what, you know, modern medicine and the proper diet and just, you know, being in 2021 now does. I mean, if you look at the clips of um, Jim Plunkett, George Blanda, Uh, old-school Bellarmine guy, Dan Pastorini. Uh, You see those guys, Kenny Stabler, when they're approaching 35 with that football uh, uniform on compared to what Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And Aaron Rodgers is 37 years old, another Bay Area guy himself. And so you see what these guys look like and and the caliber, the high caliber play they still have. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he broke the bank this year, man. I mean, I think he had close to 50 touchdowns, uh, less than 10 interceptions, and, and he's still a, a really good athlete. And, uh, you know, Tom Brady, Sarah High School, you know, rival of the old Bellarmine Prep back in the day. Uh, Tom Terrific's still getting it done, man. He's got weapons. Uh, he's, he, he's the true GOAT. But it's going to be a hell of a matchup because if Tom Brady ain't the GOAT, Aaron Rodgers is close behind.
3: So getting back to Henry Aaron, I once read about in Mobile, Alabama, how he skipped school. His mom wasn't thrilled, but he skipped school to go watch a speech by Jackie Robinson. And I think about what Jackie set not only for baseball, for the country. And, you know, if you ever get to Kansas City, the Negro League Museum is just, it's incredible. You got to go. But to think about what Henry Aaron went through in his career, And to think about how Henry Aaron carried himself on the field, off the field. I got to interview him one time. And, like, you know you're interviewing a legend. And he was, you know, he was just – he was soft-spoken. And he was so – you know, he was just so – uh, just the way he carried himself. It was just, you knew you were talking to greatness, but just talk about the way that it wasn't easy for Henry Aaron. It wasn't easy for Willie Mays. We all know about Larry Doby and Jackie Robinson, but even for, for that era of players, it was not easy for an African-American to, to be playing major league baseball, especially in the South.
5: Yeah, no, I mean, if you go back to it, you know, Henry Aaron grew up in Mobile, Alabama. He played for the Indianapolis clowns of the, um, Negro League for a season before he signed with the Braves. And and he also, he actually integrated the South Atlantic League where he was MVP, you know, once upon a time before he got to the major leagues. And I'm a true historian. So I've been to Kansas City. I've been been to the Negro League Museum. Uh, and and it's uh, amazing to see Josh Gibson, Satchel Paige, Henry Aaron, Amani Irvin, Willie Mays, and just to see the legends of, you know, what they did. And for Henry Aaron to go through, you know, to hit that home run off out downing uh, for 715. And actually, uh, one of my pitching coaches, Jack Billingham, uh, actually gave up 714, and and he had nothing but reverence for for Henry Aaron. But, no, it wasn't easy. I mean, the 60s was a pitching-dominated era. And if you go back in time when he broke in with the Indianapolis Clowns of the Negro Leagues, then he integrated the South Atlantic League. I mean, this man, uh, for the class personified, he went through trials and tribulations. And you see it today. I mean, I was just looking at some clips before we got on. I mean, Steve Kerr gave a shout out. Magic Johnson gave a shout out. Stephen King gave a shout out. Um. Deion Sanders gave a shout out. So not only do you have greats like, you know, Dusty Baker, Chipper Jones um, talking about in every major league team, acknowledging what this man did. I mean, this guy transcends sports. I mean, you got people, Lenny Kravitz, he he showed a picture today with um, wearing a Hank Aaron jersey when he was a, a, a teenager. So yeah, Hank Aaron, I mean, you can't, you cannot overstate the impact that Henry Lewis Aaron made for um, our society uh, is bigger than baseball.
3: I love the quote where he said his entire career he looked breaking ball because nobody could get a fastball by him. <laughs> he hit off his front foot. He had such strong wrist. And you know what's crazy about it too, Billy-O, is that he grew up playing cross-handed and it wasn't until some point in his career they switched him over, and obviously he still excelled, but can you imagine hitting a baseball going up there cross-handed?
5: Now It's still kind of funny if you just look at the landscape. He actually signed as an infielder. I mean, from a scouting standpoint, 101, I've always just emphasized that everybody, most guys, I mean, you play Little League, the best guy on the field is a pitcher, and he's a shortstop. And so... Hank Aaron spent the majority of his career in the outfield, but he signed as a shortstop and then he played for the Milwaukee Braves when they won the, their, their, world series in 1957, he was an infielder, you know, playing alongside a uh, great Warren spawn. So yeah, Henry Aaron, I mean, Bob Gibson and Koufax had a quote and they basically said, I mean, he was so quick inside that they had nothing for him. I mean, so you got two greats from the 60s, uh, Bob Gibson of the 1.12 ERA, and, and Sandy Koufax of the um, of the six of the greatest years on the mound in our history, and and they're they're just poignant saying they had nothing to to counterbalance and attack Henry Aaron because the man had no weakness or holes.
3: Let's end on this. How much are you looking forward to, and you can't wait for baseball to get back? Oh, I
5: can't wait. I mean, that's the, unless you're the team that makes the, you know, holds the trophy for the last out of the World Series, I love it. I love the excitement, and I watch all the interviews, but it's still bittersweet after that last game of the World Series because, you know, there's no more baseball. You can go down to Winter League, go to Caribbean. You have the hot stove, but it's you know spring training is, is almost upon us. Uh, the excitement of the season is here. Uh, you're hoping that you know we, we make the postseason again. So now our livelihood, uh, what makes us tick every day, uh, reading those box scores first thing in the morning. Um, I can't wait for um, for baseball season to, to, to get here. It can't get here soon enough. And rest in peace to the man, the legend, Henry Louis Aaron. Thank you.
3: Billy-O, you are the best. Be safe down there in Arizona, and hopefully we'll see you at spring training.
5: Sounds good, Johnny. Take care, man.
3: And it's not Wednesday, but today's a Friday. But he's a baseball historian. (laughs) He loves this game as much as anybody. And... You know, Ray Fossa, you played against, you know, we, we've had too many of these guys pass away. And whether you got to play against them in the American League or you played against them in a spring training game or like Tommy Lasorda in the World Series, uh, this has been a very rough stretch. We've had some of the greatest players in a very short time leave us. Tommy,
2: I told Cody the other day, I hope uh, we, we could talk about something besides great players of the past passing away, but unfortunately uh, that is not the case as this morning. You're right. Uh, Hank Aaron did pass away. I did have the privilege of playing against him in the all-star game in 1970. Um, I can't even describe what it was like. You know, I came within two years of being a teammate because he retired in 1976. I joined the Brewers in 1978 and he finished his career a great career with the Brewers in 1976. So, I was that close to being a teammate of Hank Aaron, of course playing against him during that period of time. Don't remember that much about it, but I do know the All-Star game he was a starting I think right fielder in the 1970 All-Star game. But the the one the one story that stands out to me Tony is that in spring training, I think it was in 1970 and I had mentioned before about the Dodgers training in at, at Vero Beach in Florida, and then heading to Los Angeles, and they'd stop along the way, especially in Arizona for uh, spring training games, just to just to play an exhibition game. Well, the Braves, I think, well in 1970 they were going to San Diego to start their season, and remember at that time, the uh, the Braves and the Padres, uh, just like the Giants, the Braves were in the same division, and. Um, Hank Aaron and the Braves stopped in Tucson, I didn't start the game. Alvin Dark was our manager, and he, he always called me Raymond like you did the other day. But he'd say, hey, Raymond, come and sit beside me. I want you to watch some great players, one of which was Hank Aaron. As it turned out, Duke Sims, who was the starting catcher, got injured. Something happened. I went in to catch. And lo and behold, Sam McDowell, one of the great lefties, is facing Hank Aaron. The all-time, to me, the all-time home run hitter was 755. But, you know, I, I was thinking as a an American leaguer, I was always hearing stories about the National League. They love fastballs. Sam McDowell had four of the greatest pitches of any pitcher I ever caught. He had a tremendous curveball, a 12 to 6, which basically figure a clock, 12 o'clock, 6 o'clock, he'd drop off the table. He had that kind of a curveball, thrown very hard. So the first pitch I called was a curveball. Hank Aaron started to swing, held up. Took it for strike one. I said, Okay, here we go. So, pitch number two, I said, Here comes another curveball. I'm, I'm gonna stay with the same pitch. He started that thing, you know, you, I could still visualize him with the, the tremendously strong wrists as he was standing there and he'd start his swing and stop it again, strike two. And I went, Oh, ho, 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 here we go. I called for another curveball. And at the time, we had a set of signs that basically a pitcher. If he wanted to shake off, instead of shaking his head, he would add. And you have probably heard me talking about it many times because players don't do it. Dave Stewart, I think, was one of the last that I remember seeing add and subtract, where you rub your, your shirt um, for adding, and then you pant-lay your pant leg for subtracting. So I went curveball to Sam, which is a two. He subtracted one with a fastball. And I went, okay. So I moved inside, very much inside, figuring that. This is going to be a waste pitch. Tony, before the pitch was thrown and before I could get out of the catching position, those quick wrists turned on a fastball from Sam McDowell, probably in the neighborhood of 95, 98 miles per hour. And the next thing I knew, here's Hank Aaron coasting into second base with a double ringing off the left center field wall. And I looked at Sam and I said, What are you doing? You you know, that's how good of a hitter he was, how quick he was. And even with two strikes, he was able to do that. And looking at his numbers, which I'm sure you and Cody have, in his great career, he never struck out 100 times. You think of today's baseball players striking out 100 times. Heck, you can do that in two months, three months, you know, because that's just kind of the way the game is played. You've always said, what is it, the uh, true outcome, or walk or strike out or a home run, something like that. But Hank Aaron had such great, strong risks just amazing and if you notice during that period of time Hank aaron and well all the players i, I remember wearing a, a batting helmet that did not have the, the ear flap and i can still see him with his soft cap putting i mean his hands were huge taking the helmet like palming it like you would a basketball and putting it on his head and then taking it off and, and of course when he hit number 715 a great call by ben Scully he took the helmet off, but had the soft cap on. And it it just is a a great memory of of Hank Aaron and having the privilege of being behind home plate and watching him and some of the greats play the game. And Hank Aaron, obviously, obviously stands out as one of the greatest ever to play the game. And it's so sad to hear that he passed away.
3: You know, is it, is it one of those deals? Like when he was up at the plate, you could hear his bat whiz by you. (laughs) That's
2: a great call because, you know, he was so quick. And and I think of Ernie Banks and and even Willie Mays. You know, these guys, nobody lifted weights, Tony, like they do today. You know, you have the strength and conditioning coaches. And I think it was uh, Carl Yastrzemski in 1967 was the first ever to utilize the um, uh, Universal Gym, I think. Yeah, Universal Gym, which had all the uh, the various uh, weights around the kind of the middle of the gym. And he used that, won the triple crown, but you know, nobody during that period of time, uh, we didn't make any money, but you know, so it, it was kind of rest the body in the offseason, maybe do some work doing some different things. I worked every winter. I don't know what Hank Aaron did, but I do know that I could still see him coming up to the uh, on deck circle with two or three bats. He would have the one that he's going to use, but another couple to use as a weight um, to swing those bats. So that when he did go to the plate, he was using the bat that he was going to use. And, with those quick wrists, I I never knew what size of a bat he used, but I know during that period of time, we used larger uh, weighted bats. Um, You know, the length 34 and a half, 35, but, you know, never anything less than 32, 33. So I I can't even imagine uh, what he used, but man, what a tremendous hitter. But yeah, his his bat speed, uh, it's almost like some of the guys that use very light bats and their bat speed is so quick that you could hear it. Well, Hank Aaron, you could do that as well. And uh, I remember Phil Garner would talk about somebody's fastballs. It's like a radio ball. You could hear it coming. Well, Hank Aaron's back, like you said, was that quick that you could hear it. And you knew that when he made contact, just like he did against Al Downing in 1974, an in infamous number 715, uh, there was no doubt about it. And he, he didn't care about you know hitting long home runs. Uh, to him, for Hank Aaron, First row, front row, that's all right. It's a home run. It's over the fence because number 715 went into the bullpen, caught by Tom House, who I knew as a pitching coach for the Texas Rangers, left-handed pitcher. And uh, I think now he's a, uh, a quarterback coach for the NFL, some of the great NFL quarterbacks. But, uh, you know, just, just a, an amazing, amazing athlete. And uh, I, I'm sorry in a sense that we didn't have an early play where I could see him on a regular, or at least a little bit more regular basis. But seeing him in the All-Star game, 20, can you imagine 22 All-Star games, Tommy? playing in 22? That's how good he was. So, I mean, you, you really can't say there's anybody better. And again, uh, in a uh, 755 home runs. And, jeez, uh, I mean, it, it just – and I think I, I looked it up, and he had 44 about four times. Never hit 50. And you had guys hitting 50, 60, 70. But Hank Aaron never did it. He was just as a consistent player. And I think he still holds the record for the most RBI, uh, over oh, yeah. 2,200. And, you know, what can you say? Just a tremendous player. And, and not not to mention a gold glove outfielder.
3: And, and what he meant to the game, too, Ray, it's like, you know, it's one thing to be a great player, but what happens to your greatness as you leave the game and you stay in the game and you grow the game and you help kids and you help people. It's like, it's like the longer that Hank Aaron went, it's like the bigger, you know, the bigger, the, the, the aura, the bigger, the person, the, you know, he became it, you know, cause back then it was different, right? We didn't have, you know, where television was and radio was, we didn't have cable. We didn't have all that. And it's just, it's like, as he got older, the bigger he got.
2: Exactly. No, you're, you're exactly right. And a- I, I was reading some stories this morning about it, and, and there was one story where he went to a minor league game, and he went up, he said, I'd like to purchase an $8 ticket. Can you imagine Hank Aaron going up to the ticket window at a minor league game and, and wanting to purchase a ticket? I mean, that's how humble he was. He wasn't walking up and saying, hey, I'm Hank Aaron. You know, let me in free. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he got in free, but uh, but that's how humble he was. But, you know, everything he did, and I, I thought the, the call by Vin Scully Uh, And if people have a chance, if they can, I mean, it's all over the the internet, I'm pretty sure, because it's the full, like a two-minute version of uh, Al Downing giving up the home run to Hank Aaron, and what Vin Scully said was just absolutely tremendous, the way he described the home run hit at 9, 10, 10 minutes after 9 in Atlanta, and and, then just a a fabulous call by, I'm not surprised, Vin Scully, a master of words, but uh, to... To hear his call was just tremendous. So I encourage people to listen to that if they can, and maybe Cody can pull it up and play it on uh, the air before, unless you already have before you leave. But uh, you know, just a, a humble person, a great man. After the game, and, and you're right, Tony, working for the Atlanta Braves, you don't, you know, you don't really see or hear that much about him during the period of time he was working for the Braves. And I'm sure if you're a member of the Atlanta Braves currently and you have an opportunity to be around the great Cameron Hank Aaron, you're thinking, wow, this is a privilege just to be a part of the Braves organization and knowing that one of the greatest players ever, not starting in Milwaukee, and then the the uh, Braves moved to uh, Atlanta. And then of course, the when he ended up his career, like I said, he finished back in Milwaukee. Bud Selig uh, just absolutely loved it. And I'm not surprised. The, the former commissioner, of course, he owned the Milwaukee, uh, Brewers brought them from Seattle and uh, not surprising that he would bring Hank Aaron back to Milwaukee where it all started for him.
3: Yeah, they had a real special relationship, obviously. And, um, you know, for Bud, I, I, I thought, because Ray, w- w- there was always the confusion of, OK, most valuable player. Is it the best offensive guy or is it the guy that was truly the most you know, valuable to a team that was a good team and potentially got in the postseason or postseason. I'm glad that Bud created that award saying, okay, this award, whether it's the MVP or not, uh, the guy gets the MVP or not, whoever has the best stats, you're going to get the Hank Aaron Award. So we could kind of get away from that, you know, um, who's the MVP? Do they have to have the best stats? Well, if you have the best stats, you now get the Hank Aaron Award. Yeah. No,
2: I, I think that's great too. I, I agree with you that that. That is part uh, of the aura of him, and, and not surprising that it was Bud who, who implemented that, that award just because of the Hank Aaron being who he was. And, you know, the special relationship that Bud had with him, first of all, as, a, as well, Bud was a car dealer in Milwaukee, and then when the Braves were there, and he, he was heartbroken when the Braves moved to Atlanta, and that's why he was instrumental in bringing the Seattle Pilots at the time to Milwaukee. And of course I ended up signing with them in 1978, like I said before and being a part of that organization. But uh, you know, it's just uh, just special. I'm sure, I'm sure Bud Selig is heartbroken as is all of America because one of the greatest all time, but, but so many great hall of famers, you you just think of the Braves by themselves in this month and, and Phil Necro, Don Sutton, and now uh, Hank Aaron, of course, Don Sutton mostly played with the Dodgers, but he's broadcasting for the Braves uh, as of, you know, before he passed away. So, uh, just just too many greats. And then going back to last year, you know, uh, like, like we were talking about Don Sutton, a very good pitching staff that God, God has on hands. But now, think about an outfield of Lou Brock, Al K. Line, and Hank Aaron. That's, that's not a b- bad way to go uh, with, with an outfield, not to mention the pitchers that we mentioned before. But, you know, it, it's sad, but, you know, 86, a good life, but I think he'll always be remembered as one of the all time great baseball players. But as many people have talked about, like Dusty Baker said, he was uh, he, he was like my second dad. He said I respected Hank Aaron as much as I did, or at least as much as anybody could, other than their father. And that's how much he he respected him. And well, by the way, hey, uh, Dusty Baker was in the on deck circle when Hank hit number 715 with the Braves. And uh, so you know, just so many great things. But um, you know, an icon, a great player, and you know, unfortunately, as as time goes. Uh, I, I'm privileged to uh, have Cody. I was privileged to have Cody contact me because, you know, I, having been around the game as long as I have, uh, I have a tendency to know some of the greats of the past, which I've been fortunate to know in addition to the current players as well. And I, I just hope that the current players can realize the greatness of some of these players who we've lost in the past year to know that they put up numbers and, and, you know, you, you think about a lot of those players um, that was before free agency, before there was any movement. So they had one uniform. So you go to Cooperstown, there's no deciding what bust is going to be, what cap is going to be. It's going to be the team that you played with your whole career. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's just, uh, I, I'm, I'm privileged to to have known these guys. Uh saddened, though, to realize that they're no longer with us. Uh,
3: Cody, uh, give Ray the average that Hank Aaron hit against Sandy Koufax. So,
4: Ray, in his career, in 116 at-bats, um, Henry Aaron hit a cool three sixty-two against Sandy Koufax <laughs> with seven home runs. That's the highest batting average allowed by Sandy Koufax to a Hall of Fame batter, and that's tied for first in home runs allowed with Frank Robinson and Ernie Banks. So, uh, to say that he owned Sandy Koufax is kind of an understatement. <laughs> Well, I
2: think there was, uh, and I didn't read the whole uh, whole article. They were talking about the Hall of Famers uh, that that Hank Aaron, it was Hank Aaron, owned, <laughs> and not surprising because if, if Sandy Koufax, who had a good fastball, so you you could look at Sandy Kovacs' curveball comparable to that of uh, of Sam McDowell's, and, and you know just just think of those wrists. You, you think of how bulked up guys get today, and you know in the recent past where you know you very strong guys. And, uh, but then all of a sudden you look at guys like Hank Aaron and, and, uh, and and Ernie Banks, they just stood there with those quick wrists proving that you don't have to be so buffed up. If you have strong hands, strong wrists, strong forearms, you don't need anything much of that. And the hand-eye coordination is there, but, uh, that, that's a great stat, Cody, because Sandy Koufax, I'm glad he got the 10 years required in because unfortunately for him, his elbow barked so much that he couldn't pitch anymore. And, and that's why he's in the Hall of Fame, having played, I think, just the ten years, which you have to play at least that to be eligible to get in. Can
3: you imagine that hitting three sixty two against Sandy Koufax?
2: <laughs> you know, he would be he would be kind of the guy that when Koufax was pitching against him, he'd say, "Okay, pitch around him."
3: You know? Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take my pitch choice. around anybody.
2: Yeah, I know, but uh, but yeah, but but no, that that's just the greatness and. And again, I, I can still, as we're talking right now, all the years past, I can still see Hank Aaron standing at home plate at the High Corporate Field in Tucson, Arizona with me behind the plate. And, and just, uh, you know, and, and you can imagine playing in the All-Star game, and I think of the, what, 60 players, there were probably 19, 20 that ended up in the Hall of Fame, and I'm running up and down the dugout like a chicken with a head cut off, and, you know, all the greats in the American League on the, on the the sitting on the back, With their feet on the um, on the bench, and on the other side, you know Tom Seaver pitching, Johnny Bench catching, Hank Aaron in the outfield. Remember, we talked before that uh, Roberto Clemente. um, I don't think Clemente started that game. I think he was uh, there's Rico Cardi, Willie Mays, and Hank Aaron starting outfield for the uh, the National League in 1970. But but you know so many great players uh, during that period of time. But you know, Tony, it's amazing when you're playing, you don't think about these players of being who they are in hindsight, you know, it, it could have been much different for me to, um, you know, I have Hank Aaron's autograph on a baseball card is 1958 plus a, a baseball that he signed for me. And, you know, it, it, it those are special to me because I know the history of the game. I know some of the greatness the uh, great players that played the game and, and to say that I knew them, I stood behind home plate with them hitting, or played against them, I mean, it it was a privilege for me. And I'll I'll never, ever downplay the fact that I was just a basic rookie player and a young player getting the opportunity to play against some of the great, great players of the game.
3: All right. I'm going to give you and Cody a guess on this. All right. The top three all-time total bases leaders are Hank Aaron, your guy Stan Musial, and Willie Mays. I add them Um. all up. All right, we'll start with you, Ray. Total bases all-time if you add up Hank Aaron, Stan Musial, and Willie Mays. Oh, my goodness.
2: Total bases?
3: Total bases.
2: Well, Hank Aaron just in 755, it it, it multiplied times four. (laughs) And plus, he's a big doubles hitter. Oh, wow. Um, Three of them. Oh, it's got to be, what, five or 6,000? I don't know, 4,000?
4: It's, it's way up in the thousands, I would think.
3: Cody, what, what do, do you, you think, got? Cody?
4: I think around 19,000, if I had to take a guess. because Oh, really? Be, because Henry Aaron's are over 6,000, and Stan the Man finished 722 behind him. So you figure <laughs> that's really, around...
3: Really, it's 19,056 between the three of them. Oh,
2: my goodness. That was a great guess man. Oh, movie. wow. Wow. That That is unbelievable. That, it's just hard to fathom, you know, and... it's you know, and the thing about it, too, mentioned that Hank Aaron never struck out 100 times. And you think about that. And, and I think about whenever he stood at the plate and took two curveballs from Sam McDowell. And I'm thinking, hey, you know, I got a chance to strike him out. Well, there's a reason it didn't strike out 100 times because he put the ball in play. And, Tony, I think you've said it this many, many times, that you get two strikes, shorten up, put the ball in play, and, and let's go from there. You know, why try to take the big swing when you can put the ball in play and maybe get a hit that way and, and obviously, those three greats that you talked about did that because I'm sure they didn't strike out a lot. I know Joe DiMaggio didn't. Uh, and, and it was it's a matter of being a smart hitter, and you couldn't ask for any – you know what, another question would be how many all-star games did those three play uh, combined? I mean, I mentioned Hank Aaron, I think 22 and then two more. Oh, it's that he had. 63. 63. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. But, I, you know, the, the thing that I think, Tony, and granted, you know, we're in 2021, and I remember when they had the top 100 players uh, introduced at Fenway Park. Obviously, Ted Williams was going to be there. But what happens, I think, unless people know the history of the game, they forget about some of the great players of the past unless or when someone passes away like Hank Aaron did today or Don Sutton or Tom Seaver, Lou Brock, Bob Gibson. I mean, those are great players who played in the 50s and the 60s, and then all of a sudden you have the great players coming from there and playing like King Griffey Jr. And, and on and on and on. But, but you know, I, I think it's, it's something that there, there should be a class. You know, we've got classes on analytics. I think there should be classes on great baseball players of the past. Because there are so many. You take the baseball encyclopedia, you know, which I'm, I'm blessed to have, you know, the encyclopedias and see my name amongst all the great players of the past and, and great players in general that played baseball. But, but I, I think there's something to be said about players of the past. And, you know, I, I said this before, but I think it, it, it warrants saying again that when Tony La Russa managed the Cardinals, he, ha- he had a printout of Stan Musial and he put on every player's locker. And he had a meeting. He said, I want you guys to read this because I want you to know when that old man comes through here, he's not just some old man. He's the greatest <laughs> Cardinal, greatest Cardinal that ever played the game. And you know what? I give Tony a lot of credit for doing that because, you know, you, you get the point where the money is so good, but the greatness of the, of the players who played this game, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And they didn't have the equipment, didn't have the weightlifting, didn't have a lot of the things that players have in recent past and especially today, but these guys do how to play the game. And I think that's what sets them apart. And, and especially somebody like Hank Aaron, who, I, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about him. And just, uh, again, very sad that he left us way too early.
3: What a career Don Seton had not only as a player, but also as a broadcaster.
2: You know, he was on television and then went to radio. And um, we were in Atlanta, you know, a few years ago. It hasn't been that long. But I remember, I think John Smoltz was doing some games on TV. But I had a chance to talk to Don, who was uh, on radio at the time. And, I, 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 you know, I'll never forget what he said, that because at the time, or once daylight saving time goes back to normal, we in California are three hours behind them. And he said, you know, I really enjoy your games because we finish our game. I go home, I get a beverage of choice, I sit down, and I watch the games or listen to the game. But watch them, you know, at that time, uh, doing a lot of television, uh, which I was at the time. And so he said, it was it was always great to to sit down and, and watch the games and listen to you guys on the broadcast team. And so you know, even from afar, he was following a team that he played for in 1985. But uh, it was great having, but I think the one thing you guys talked about was a number of starts that he made. And Cody, you said it best. I think when you said it'd be lucky if we could get a guy to make 25 to 30 starts on a, on a regular basis, where he did it consistently. And remember when he started, it was a four man rotation. And how, how about being a park County, as you mentioned with the, uh, Oh, Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale and Claude Osteen. (laughs) That's a pretty good good rotation to be a part of, to be a kid. It kind of reminds me a little bit of John Palmer, who uh, joined the Orioles as a kid, and they won the World Championship, which happened to be, I think, against the Dodgers uh, in the mid-60s. But, you know, a great loss, uh, unfortunately, but I think God's got a tremendous team in heaven because, man, you you look at the Hall of Famers. uh, I was talking to Dr. Schwartz yesterday, and Uh, I had mentioned it to him and he said, my, my, it's just the number is just unbelievable in the last 12 months of the Hall of Famers who have passed away. But, um, you know, he's uh, he's in good company in heaven, I'm sure. And uh, let's hope that uh, he can join that great rotation of what Gibson, Whitey Ford, uh, Joe Necro, Tom Seaver. That's a heck of a rotation that uh, unfortunately we lost uh, baseball lost, and America lost the last uh, in the last year.
3: I mean, when he came up with the Dodgers in 1966 at 21 years old, Ray, he pitched in 37 games and started 35 as a 21-year-old.
2: It's amazing. and it? it really is amazing. I, I like the stat that was thrown out about um, he's what, third in total game started, never missed a start. You talk about you talk about longevity, number one, but durability, the most important thing that, you know, you could pencil his name in either in a four-man rotation or five-man rotation, and I'm going to say this too, and and you mentioned he pitched 23 years. I remember when Gaylord Perry, who pitched, um, I don't know, 23, 24 seasons, uh, Cody's got the baseball reference to know exactly, but, you know, people said, well, look at how many years he pitched. I said, hey, wait a minute. The guy doesn't pitch just because you like him. He's pitching because he's good. And Don Sutton, like Gaylord Perry, able to sustain that longevity to be able to pitch and pitch effectively. So you cannot deny someone uh, the, the ability, if he has the ability to pitch that long and, and to pitch that many innings and be that successful, you cannot deny him. But, uh, you know, in 85, I think it was 85 when he was with the athletics, I remember there was one, one time, you know, as the, uh, the 580 turns into the 238 to the 880 to get to Coliseum. It was a day game, and I remember Don was living in the East Bay and evidently was on the 580, and he, as he got to the 238, it was just a, a parking lot, and he was pitching that day. So he was he was coming in a little bit later, and as it turned out, there was a, a high woman who saw him, recognized him, and said, you're Don Sutton. He says, yeah, and I'm pitching it, and he says, well, follow me. So he got a police escort to the Coliseum so he could make the start. Otherwise, I don't know that he would have made it, you know. Um, I I know how I could have gone and and been there on time. I take a different route, but uh, new to the ball club, new to the area, he took that route, but he got the police escort to make sure he got there on time. But, you know, a tremendous person. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just very sad. He, He will definitely be missed.
3: Yeah. You know, it's so funny when people say that kind of stuff, like, Oh, he just accumulated stats because he played over twenty years. Yeah, right. You know how yeah. good you have to be to play over twenty years and and I don't care, Ray. I don't care. If we're talking hockey, football. Like watching Drew Brees up against Tom Brady. These guys are in their forties. I mean, to play. Right. Hey, listen, these front front offices. The only reason they're going to sign you is they because they believe you can help them win. And the fact that people like, oh, he played twenty to play twenty three years and right. league baseball. Oh my God.
2: No, no, you're exactly right. And like Cody said, and we've talked about the the five-year period of time between the last game you pitch or last year you play, uh, five years when you're eligible for the Hall of Fame. So, you know, the fact that he was on the ballot, what, five times before he was finally elected, it's absurd to think yeah. about that. But, you know, the, there are there are a couple of things. Number one, that the 10-year the that you have to play uh, in Major League Baseball to be eligible for the Hall of Fame. But this statistic tells me more than anything about the longevity, guys who can pitch a long time. The Major League Baseball pension, which is probably the best as far as when it can start, when you can take it, but it used to be to max out, it was 20 years. Nobody was pitching or playing 20 years, so they reduced it to 10. What does that tell you? So to have somebody like Don Sutton or Gaylor Perry, just a couple that I mentioned, to be able to play and pitch effectively that long for those two guys, give them a lot of credit. And, um, you know, they're both in the Hall of Fame. Fortunately, Gaylord's still with us, but uh, uh, unfortunately, Don is not.
3: You know, when I think about pitching that long, how many times do you have to reinvent yourself to get outs in 23 years?
2: Well, I don't know how long Frank Tanana pitched. But he's a prime example of someone who could throw hard. Matter of fact, he pitched against Dennis Eckersley in nineteen seventy-seven on Memorial Day at the mistake by the lake in Cleveland. And that's when Eck pitched his no hitter. And he was a fireballer. I mean, I don't even know if there had guns at the time, but he was throwing had to be mid to upper nineties. And then he lost the velocity. And when he pitched for the Tigers, he was a crafty left hander. I mean, he threw that slow, slow curveball and a lot of change ups, but He reinvented himself, but you take somebody like Don Sutton, he always had the curveball, which I was fortunate to hit a hanger in the 74 World Series uh, (laughs) that we've talked about. But, you know, I was lucky. Uh, He just happened to hang it. I just happened to make contact on it, but he had a good breaking ball. He he, he knew how to pitch. And I think the longer you can pitch, especially as a pitcher and hitters adjust too, because I remember the great uh, uh, Brooks Robinson made some adjustments that he told me about as his, Career extended. But from a pitcher standpoint, if you don't make some changes, first of all, you're not going to be able to throw the, the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Nolan Ryan an exception to the rule uh, of being able to do that. But if you're not and don't have the ability to throw hard, you have to make some adjustments. And Don Sutton did that. I mean, his, his, talking about repeating mechanics, and you know, as a pitcher yourself, that it's the most important thing. And you have pitching coaches talk about repeat your mechanics. You watch and we've seen a lot in the last couple of days, especially yesterday and today, his mechanics all throughout his career, out of the windup, exactly the same. I cannot look at one of those that he was pitching with various teams that his windup deviated one iota, which that in itself says a lot about him. Now, you have the same mechanics, but then you change the type of pitches you're going to be throwing, but he always had the signature curveball that twelve to six said, oh, by the way, I guess if you are a teammate and on the same rotation as Sandy Koufax, you're probably going to pick up a good curveball, which he did have.
3: Yeah, Nolan Ryan only pitched twenty seven years. How
2: about that? And 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 I, I read something on him, and we talked about it before that his last pitch before he blew out his arm uh, was ninety eight miles an hour. <laughs> 98 miles. You know, and and so you know he he he's just I mean. I, I I saw the other day they uh, I was looking at um, something where they were talking ceremonial first pitches. He threw an 85 mile an hour fastball. <laughs> you know, in his you know he's seasoned in 70s, but he's throwing the first pitch, ceremonial first pitch, 85. I mean, what does that tell you about him? Just a he's a, 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 had a bionic arm, and uh, you know, uh, if if he, and I remember when he was uh, president and part owner of the Texas Rangers. I'd never forget seeing him sit down by the dugout, and if you're a pitcher. You're, you're going to stay out. You don't want to come out of a game because you have to walk by uh, the, the Express. And he's going to be saying, what are you doing coming out of a game? You know, look at your pitch count. So, But, uh, you know, they're, they're rare people. But, uh, Cody, I agree with you. You know, if we could get some guys who could pitch um, deep in games the way pitchers of the past, again, nothing against the current pitchers because they make good money. They want to be protected, or the, the clubs want to protect them because they make the money. They do not want to abuse them. But I would like to see that because if you think about, if your starter can go seven innings, then you have your setup man and your closer. You're going to win a lot of ball games that way.
3: So you got you, you were in that first draft. What was that? Sixty five. Yes. So Nolan Ryan came up. I finally have it in front of me. Nolan Ryan came up in '66 and pitched all the way till I was in college in 1993. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, you know, you know the thing,
3: <laughs> the
2: thing about Nolan Ryan when he was in the American League, and what a trade to go to the Angels, uh, well, from the Mets. But, you know, I've, I've always said that when the schedule came out, the Angels would look at the schedule and look at it in, you know, let's say in, right now in 2021 or let's say 20, and you see in 21, the Angels are going to be playing a 5 5 game at Anaheim on August the 23rd, Nolan Ryan's pitching that game. Because you couldn't see. You couldn't see the shadows. And he would always pitch those games. And now he didn't need to pitch that way to pitch seven no-hitters. I mean, he was that good. You you know, he's the pitcher, the type of pitcher, that you could go to the ballpark every game that he pitched and say, this man has a chance to do something special and pitch a no-hitter. That's why times you want to see somebody, an individual, pitch or play, that's good. Nolan Ryan was that type of a pitcher.
3: Bip Roberts, the former All Star, and of course, you see him on NBC Sports California doing A's pre and post game live. Bipster, how are you?
6: Wow, Tony. How am I, man? It, 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 first, let me say it's, it's good to hear your voice. Um, just, man, I've just been numb all day, man. I'm just, you know, that news with Hank past in the day. It kind of shifted me a little bit. So I feel great now but I, it's just been a long day, man, it's just talking to so many people, and wow, I mean, I, I think I knew right when it happened, and from that time on, just to hear and see what's going on out here, it, it's just amazing, man, just amazing, what an amazing icon, wow, man, so I, I'm just like, uh, all day has been raining here in the Bay, so, I mean, you know, so it's just been, wow, it's just been, wow, everything is Hank right now, man. And It's like, wow, you lose Hank and then lose Joe. So it's like, wow, I know I'm rambling on, but it's just been crazy in the world of baseball as far as losing our heroes, that guys we looked up to as kids. So.
3: Yeah, it's it's been very disturbing. I mean, we understand people get older and we're going to celebrate their lives, about the amount of hall of famers that have passed, you know, like it was like Tom Seaver, Don Sutton. I mean, we've had so many, as you mentioned, Joe, and we just interviewed Joe last year when we were going over the 72 world series. So it wasn't that long ago we got a chance to interview him. It's just, it's so disturbing, Bick. How many of these great iconic baseball players have passed so fast and all together,
6: you know, I've I, I kind of been looking at it saying, you know, I'm a baseball player, former player, and I, I see they had longevity in life. And then I'm saying, okay, I, I'll take what they had if I could get to that point. So I look at it as a blessing to say, these guys, again, are showing us the way. Um, you know, it's amazing to have been a former player and to know and to be, to be able to, sh- sh- you know, had a handshake with all of these guys and to have conversation with them. And, you know, they were some real good people, man. And, 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 and I know there's some real, you know, in their own lives, they were great people because I know a lot of people looked up to them and, you know, when I heard Sutton pass this week, I was like, wow, man, I, I really liked Don Sutton. I did, you know, and again, these are some of my favorite people. They were my favorite players. Like when I was growing up. So it's, it's been tough when I see one of my baseball cards go down, you know, these are, these are my guys and I'm sure, you know, what I'm talking about. Tommy.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, Bip, I, 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 you know, you, you and I were too young for Jackie Robinson before he passed away. But I think as a young African-American ball player, uh, the guys that you looked up to, you know, when you start talking about Willie Mays and you start talking about, uh, Hank Aaron, and you mentioned Joe Morgan, and you know all the great players that came out of Oakland. I mean, I can totally understand how, how this shakes you because, I mean, you looked up to these guys; they were your inspiration. They they were the guys that gave you hope, that made you believe you could do this for a living.
6: You, you know, you're right. Um, <laughs> we, like you said earlier, we people get older, and we know that they're gonna. We're all eventually gonna we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna pass over but you're never ready for it. So it, when it happens, it's tough. And then you, you start to, to, to think about how important that person was to you. And you, you're absolutely correct when you say, without guys like Henry Aaron, coming from the Negro League, being that link after Jackie, to, to solidify a spot and and have people understand that, you know, we were equal, if not better ballplayers than, than any athletes in the world. And These guys were, they were pioneers, they were icons. They were the thread of what um, belief was all about. We can get this done, we can do this, it's been done. And it's and and we've been shown how to do it. And and it took a lot of strength back then. You're going to get 3000 hate letters a day. You know, you you better be strong. And, and, And Hank was one of those guys who he was a solid uh, still link between, uh, you know, the the, the Negro Leagues and the Big League. So, you know, we owe him a lot of debt. I owe him a lot of thank yous and gratitude because, you know, it, it took a lot back then. And he still played and he did extremely well, even though those things were going on off the field. So we talk about civil rights leaders and things like that. You know, uh, Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown, Kareem, and so many others just stepped out in the front. And, and and Hank Aaron was right there with them. You know, we talk about Bill Russell and so many guys who, at that time, they, they were showing us the way. And, and it was in the 50s and 60s. So, you know, we're in 2021, but we can't forget about what these guys did.
3: You know, each one of them had their own struggles. And I think about for Hank, who integrated the South Atlantic League, I can't imagine what that was like. I mean, you dealt with it in your career. Can you even imagine what these guys dealt with back in those days, especially guys growing up in the South?
6: You know, I, I couldn't. Um, I know my grandfather took my uncles and my mom and everybody out of the South for fear of not what they would do to him but what he would do to them. And so when a lot of the migration came from the South to the West, people thought they got away from that until they go back into the systematic racism that exists. And, and I think that we all in time have had situations that have come up where we've had to deal with that in itself. And I can just, the time that I was called the N word was here in San Francisco after Plan." doing the Giants telecast at uh, Willie Mays Plaza. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, County, really. I really couldn't believe it at that time. And that was in 2010, 12, somewhere at that time. Really? So you think about it. Oh, man, we, we were on set, County. I, I never told this story. Go
4: I ahead.
3: Tell story. I never told this story.
6: I never told this story. Because you know me. You know me. You know how I am. And so, you know, I don't I don't be tripping on none of that stuff that's going on out there. But this day we were doing the World Series pregame and we were all on set. We were on air and we had a break. And in between that break, there was a guy standing behind myself and I think in between me and Greg Popper. And he was smoking a cigarette. And one of the uh, set managers. She came back and she went to tell him, hey, you can't smoke. And he hit her hand. And so, you know, I'm looking back at what's going on because it's down behind me. And he says, what is the N word gonna do? And he says, it just as loud and as bold and as proud as he could. And uh, as I get ready to react to whatever was about to happen, I think Papa and Flannery says, we're about to go back on in five seconds, four, three, two, and boom, one, I got to go back to being normal as a, and act as if nothing happened. And this guy disappeared into the crowd. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
3: Yeah, you think of all the places you played, minor leagues, big leagues, uh, I think the last place you think that would have happened to you was post-career while doing television in San Francisco.
6: In San Francisco. So when you say what they went through, County, ooh, man, come on. I, if you had to be special, you you really had to be still to be able to take that and perform knowing that everybody, these people hate you for no reason. And they're, they're, they're able to voice that opinion either at the park or through letters and mail that come to your locker. So you always feel as if you're probably on the edge and, you know, you can get old quick. You know, a lot of, you know, Hank lived a long time. You know, Jassy passed early, you know, Hank lived a long time, you know? And so you think like, wow, everything he went through, did that have something to do with lifespan? And for some guys, it does, you know, and the stress is tough, but thank God we had guys like Hank Aaron to, um, you know, show us the way.
3: Yeah. And that's what always takes me back to, I appreciate what major league baseball does for Jackie Robinson and I wish they would do more because it. it, it uh, I don't want to say it's lazy. It's just like, oh, we're just gonna always honor Jackie. It's like, well, wait a minute. A guy did the exact same thing not long after. Jackie named Larry Doby who did it in the American league and went through everything that Jackie Robinson did not too long after. And I think if we went around to a lot of young major league baseball players and said, okay, you know, Jackie Robinson, he did it in the national league. Who did it in the American league? I bet well over 90% guys couldn't even tell you who Larry Doby is.
6: Yeah. You know, you might be correct on that. Uh, I think. Right now, when you when you you talk to these young players, I think their history is starting to come before them right now. As you see the guys that are passing, and they they want to know who these guys are. So I think that you know, even though we have sadness when our guys are passing, when they pass, they have a legacy that they've left, and then you have to sit and you have to read it, and then you have to respect it because you know how tough it was. So I I just think that everything that's happened has been so different, but life comes and life goes. But I think that with the information that now you get to read and see who people really are, you have more of appreciation for what they've done. So I I think when you you, you go back to what Major League Baseball did last year, and they had the commercial that had all the African-American brothers Doing a commercial. I think these guys are are, are, are burning the right path to, to that understanding of their history. And, and I think they're making a change. Things are starting to change, in my opinion, as to the love of the game in our communities again. And I think it's because these guys. They're doing a great job in their communities and I see it all the time online. I see a lot of guys. Former and current players still doing a lot of things in their communities and the excitement is there. And now, you know, again, when you lose somebody like Hank and you tie it all in to what these guys are teaching in their communities, it it gives you strength and it gives you courage to understand that you can do it too. Because I think a lot of kids have been afraid to play baseball based on how they've been treated and the economics of it. And, the um the ability to have places to play, but a lot of guys are now in communities and and they're they're changing that. So, I think today is a, a great day to learn who a great a tremendous man. Towny, think about it. man his, his his numbers. His numbers are just so great that even if he didn't hit the home runs, he would. And they took away all his home runs, he'd still have three thousand hits. He'd still be a great player with RBIs and run scored on base percentage doubles. And he could have been a switch hitter. He was such a great athlete. Now we get to uh, really understand who Hank Aaron was.
3: Well, I've been trying to stress this all day. And Bib, you and I have talked about this in the past about, yeah, you hated to strike out. Bip Roberts never wanted to strike out. You look at <laughs> Hank Aaron. I mean, you take away, you know, you, you take away bonds. I mean, he has the most home runs. He's got the most RBIs. He's got the most total bases. And it's just crazy to think, other than Pete Rose and Ty Cobb, he's got the third most hits. I mean, this one, this guy was an offensive machine.
6: Yeah. Wow, Connie. You know, as, like I said, I think I got phone calls from around the country at a certain time early this morning. And, you know, people started telling stories. And we started listening. And we started hearing things. we started hearing about, wait, he was supposed to be a switch hitter. And you think about how he hit – with his hands up in the wrong position from the right side of the place.
3: Cross-handed, yeah.
6: <laughs> Cross-handed. And you go, well, wait a minute. You know, well, well, huh? And, he, and he just again, you start hearing stories. And these stories are true. And he'd say, how did you overcome? And, and you were that good? And it, when you look at his highlights when he was young, man, he had some speed. And he had the strongest hands and wrists that you'd ever seen. And he didn't swing up through the ball with this, uh, you know, this this ability to try to get under it and drive it with all this this stuff that's going on these days. He hit down through the baseball with a short, compact swing, and he made contact, stayed inside the ball, and he drove it. That has worked since baseball was invented. <laughs> but we got some smart guys that want to change the game, but the greats—that's how they did it. And Hank was. Wow, there was no better player. I mean, we know we we talk about Willie being the greatest player ever with the I mean, uh, you know, with, with with so many other guys' names being there, and you know, it was always Willie and 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 Hank. You know, is it was Hank and Willie? Is it Willie and Hank? You know, but wow, what two great ball players from the Negro Leagues that uh, they just they just killed it in the big league. So what a what a, what a day, man! What a day.
3: You taught kids uh, for a long time how to hit. And I think of two guys. I think of Aaron and I think of Clemente. They were both front foot hitters. I You would never teach that. But ha, I mean, you got to have extreme bat speed. You got to have strong hands, strong wrist. I mean, you wouldn't teach a bit, but those two guys hitting off their front foot. I mean, you look at the videos, you go... Yeah, you would never want to teach a kid how to hit like that.
6: Well, I mean, now you got to get that front foot down, and you got to keep the hands back. And I think they were extraordinary with weight shift. You know, before their time, guys couldn't do that now. But again, man, these guys they swung bigger bats. They they were pitched inside. They when they got their pitch, they didn't miss it. You know. And I think with Hammer and uh, and Roberto, the ability to get that front foot on that front side and stay back and then see it and drive it, that, that's just extraordinary. Not not everybody could hit that way. And, and and everybody doesn't hit the same way. You see what I mean? To get to a certain part of contact, you all have to get weight shift to get through the baseball. And it doesn't matter how you do it. It's that just that you get there and have no strong risk Strong backside. I mean, man, these guys are big Hall of Famers.
3: Yeah, and then I, I think for Hank, what he did, Bip, after his career, so much. He still worked with the Braves around the minor league system but so much for Hank was helping people and really helping kids with his chasing the dream foundation where, you know, whether you wanted an academic scholarship, you want a dance guy, whatever kind of, you know, how he could help these kids down there in the South. I mean, it just shows you where so many people are about themselves and their brand. That's not who this man was. This man was truly going to use his platform to help other people live their dreams.
6: Yeah, he's like that, that Mount Rushmore where he should be on that Mount Rushmore where because he came from a time where even though so many people just despised what he was doing, he's going to break the most hollowed record in all of sports and he still thought about helping others and, and always did that. Never never let that leave his spirit. And and I think that's what makes him so special—that you couldn't break. It. If Hank had an idea of what it needed to be, he was going to do it. But he also knew how to make sure he was a proper mentor. And he's mentored so many, and I think a lot of us have watched. You know, when he talked to Dusty Baker, <clears throat> Dusty said that's the greatest man he's ever known, greatest person he's ever known. And, and he's always come across that. You know, we playing with the Padres and want to play against the Braves we always had a chance to meet them and shake hands and you know that group he and the Stargills and all those guys and Mazes and the Coveys and that whole group I've had the opportunity the pleasure to meet them all and they all have qualities that are the same and the one quality that always stick out was the quality of giving and how they always reach back to help us young players and it was just they were seamless. It's not even like you knew they were trying to help you, but they were there for you. Just just a generation, woo. And and we're losing them and every day once one passes. It's just like wow, it's another punch in in the heart. Hmm.
3: Mobile, Alabama, at that time, wasn't a very big place. And look at all the players they produced. Hall of Famers, Henry Aaron, Willie McCovey, uh, Billy Williams, Ozzy Smith, even Satchel Paige. I, it's crazy <laughs> to think all these names that came out of Mobile, Alabama.
6: Wow. It is. It's almost like uh, if you went across America, there's certain cities you could stop in. And you could find you ten, fifteen ballplayers, <laughs> but then you go for another thousand miles, and you couldn't find a ballplayer. They would all be in one area, like you know, like like mining for gold, you know. And 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 it, it was always these cities where people either migrate or they didn't leave. And you think about man, Birmingham, wow, the history of that. It's the history of it. it's it's, it's baseball. It really is, and I'm so glad that MLB has acknowledged the old Negro League and giving these guys their just dues because you know they put a lot of these cities on the map too. You know, so I think it's uh it's an honor that MLB finally said, you know what, these guys are worthy of that because we all knew that when you look at uh, what Hammer and you know. Um, Jackie and so many guys after them have done. We all we all knew that that's how it was supposed to be. Just had to prove it.
3: Hey, how's the uh how's the real estate business going for you?
6: Man, I'm man, I am ooh, starting to get pretty busy, which is good, man. Which is good. Woo, boy. You know, I got into it a couple years ago, had to figure it out for a year. Try some things that didn't work now the things that i'm doing are really working starting to get listings and a lot of clients who are happy with what, what's going on and um it, it's it's finally looking good man it's, it's something that i have a lot of fun doing working out here with Entero out here in uh milpitas and i look forward to it every day now it gives me an opportunity to go into the office and, and then get out in the field and with this covet you know because you can't there's so many things you can do and you can't do it's, it's fun to learn how to do these um, these things online how to do video and and have uh, people look at homes without leaving their home so county I've, I've gotten into an area here that i never thought i'd get in after playing ball but uh having a lot of fun doing it so i need more i need more clients you know we all need more clients i, I like to stay as busy as possible so
3: my wife teaches in Melpitas. You know, I can help you out.
6: <laughs> hey, you know, I, uh, you know, I got into it, man, to help someone out. And then that person, uh, ended up having an issue that took them away from it anyway. But Charlie, I hadn't taken a test, man. When I first started this, I hadn't taken a test since college. And, you know, I was, I'm in my fifties. So, I thought the old brain was done, but the old
2: brain was able to pass the first time, my man.
3: <laughs> well, if for people who want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to uh, reach out to you?
6: Uh, they can catch me at broberts at intero.com. And if will be my email. Email me, and uh, I'll, I'll definitely get back to you ASAP.
3: You are the best, my friend. Be safe. We'll talk soon.
6: All right, man. My pleasure. You take care.
3: Well, we bring on Mark from Atlanta. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the program. As we're honoring truly a great American, a great baseball player, and I know how much he meant to everybody down there in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was this was not something that people um, saw coming. Uh, just not too long ago, uh, we'd had pictures of of Hank Aaron getting uh, getting the uh, virus vaccine. And then today we, we hear that Hank Aaron has died at uh, 86.
3: Yeah. I I said earlier on this program that, you know, there's a lot of people that they talk about their brands and they want to build off what they did and try and make a ton of money. And it's like, to me, Hank Aaron, when his career was over, I got to interview him one time. He was a man about helping people and make life better for other people talk about his post career and what he was like
1: Well he, he had um, you know he worked with the Braves as a direct farm director for uh, for many years he, uh, he also I know he owned car dealerships and uh, he, you know and he did um, lots and lots of charity work he was a, he was an active figure in the community uh, you know up until up until today. Uh, you know, because you would, you would hear about or see Hank Aaron, uh, um, often and, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he, you know, he never moved away from Atlanta. He, uh, he stayed here the whole time and, uh, and he was, he was one of the real pillars of the city.
3: Yeah. And such a, just a special person. Just talk about all the years and your interactions with him.
1: Um, I mean, he was always very gracious. Uh, he he didn't come to very many Braves games. Uh, he, he preferred watching games on TV at home. Uh, so it wasn't like you saw him around the batting cage or in the clubhouse a whole lot. Uh, lots of people would run into him uh, earlier in the day. He would work out at uh, in the Braves workout room. And uh, a lot of the guys would look over and there'd be Hank Aaron. And they'd all be, uh, really impressed by seeing, by seeing him. And he was, uh, and that was where he, he struck up relationships with a lot of the younger Braves is the, is that he saw them in the workout room.
3: That is, that's classic. Like all of a sudden you're walking in there. Like I think about my guy, Josh Donaldson, when he was with the Braves, you walk in and you're working out and you look over and you're next to Hank Karen. That would be amazing.
1: Yeah. That would be amazing.
3: Oh, you know, uh, the one time I I, I got to interview him, he was so gracious. And, you know, when you get the sense when you're talking to him and you're talking to him about his career, it's just, man, what a special person. You know, we got a lot of different personalities. I don't know how many guys will ever have a personality like that when you look at the greatness of who he was as a player.
1: Yeah, he, um, you know, and and the weird part, of, I, I, I'm old enough to re- remember the, the, the like the second half of his career, and, you know, generally speaking, the, the, you know, you heard a lot about, uh, you heard a lot about Willi Mays, and you heard about Mantle, and you heard about Roberto Clemente, uh, and and people like that, but. Aaron was kind of a guy that you, you you knew about, but you didn't really know about him because one of, one of the reasons he was he played in Milwaukee, uh, which is a small market, and then he came to Atlanta, which was a new market, and uh, he 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 had gone pretty much through the '60s uh, through, uh, without without playing on a team that uh, the you know uh, went to the World Series. There were there were no playoffs until 1969. And then the Braves did make the playoffs in 1969 and they got swept by the Mets. But uh, it, it wasn't until, you know, I, I think the 70s and, he, and the home runs started piling up that people started seeing, going back and looking at, at the career and seeing all these uh, all these seasons of just such consistency. Uh, you know, he, he just, the, the, the great stat on Aaron is that you could take away his 755 home runs, and he'd still have 3,000 hits.
3: Yeah, that's something we've uh, brought up today, and it's something why I've Mm -hmm. always said that you can make a case he's the greatest player of all time because he was a terrific right fielder. He was a good base runner, but you take all the home runs, you take all the RBIs, a lot of people don't realize that other than Pete Rose and Ty Cobb, he's third in hits. I mean, it's just, right. it's it's mind-blowing when you think about his statistics. And when you talk about the home run race, I mean, obviously, there was that howl, howled mark by Babe Ruth. And it was so sad as he was chasing that. He's getting death threats. but But he went through it, and he broke the record. Talk about what that time was like.
1: Well, I wasn't in Atlanta then. Uh, I was uh, in college, and, but uh, uh, I remember I remember the, that the Chase. It, they had to go over a whole off season because he ended the, the, the 1973 season at 713, and then the, he opened the next uh, season in uh, in Cincinnati. And uh, he he hit a home run off uh, Jack Billingham uh, to make it 7-14 and to tie Ruth. And uh, there there was a real feeling then that the Braves wanted to keep him out. In fact, he, they took him out of the next game because they wanted him to break the record in Atlanta. And they were coming back home after the first weekend series in Cincinnati. And and Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner, stepped in and. For the integrity of the game, he said that Aaron needed to play in Cincinnati on Sunday, and he did, and did not hit home run. And then uh, 50,000 people show up on Monday night for a, for a game that's on NBC TV as well, and Kirk Gowdy in in the house, and, uh, and uh, second time up, he hits the home run. And Bowie Kuhn isn't there, by the way. He had some sort of speaking engagement in Alatoona or something like that that uh, – that uh, Braves fans have never gotten over, but, uh, but a lot of other people were there. And it was, it was, I mean, you know, it, it is, I would imagine uh, stands at the city's single greatest sports moment.
3: Well, and and it's one of the highest rated non-playoff slash world series games in the history of baseball. And it rates higher than most ever world series games. I don't think a lot of people know that.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it, 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 it was, it was weird to watch. I was watching it on a little TV in my dorm and, you know, he hits the home run. I think it's in the fourth, the third or fourth inning. And, uh, you know, they, they stop the game. They have a ceremony on the field. He hugs his mom and dad and wife and, and that sort of thing. And then they go back to playing. And then uh, if you look, if you keep watching the game, You'll, you'll think that there the, that there was nobody in the house because everybody left after the home run uh, it was like there was we got what we can't see and uh, and we saw history and now we're going to go home but uh, it was uh, yeah it it was it, it you know it, it it was a strange night all the way around
3: you know one thing we've talked about today on the program it's why I want extended playoffs all around is you, you didn't get to see Hank that much in the postseason, but when he did, and I think this kind of, you know, it separates certain players. You can put up all the numbers in the regular season and that's how you become a Hall of Famer. But the icing on the cake is what you did in the postseason. And when Hank got in the postseason and when they knocked off the Yankees and the three times he got in there, he was a monster in the postseason.
1: Yeah, he uh well he was a good player. I mean he, he was well that's the understatement of the decade. I mean he was a great player. He 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 hit Everybody, he, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he hit home runs, he hit singles, he hit, uh, he didn't strike out. I mean, he was, he was pretty much a perfect ball player.
3: You know, it took a, a while, but all of a sudden the recognition, you know, thank God that he got it. And they made the Hank Aaron award after him for the best offensive player. Uh, he had multiple presidents from President Clinton to President Bush. Both honor Hank Aaron. It was like later in life, people really started to understand when you say, "Mark, this guy's true greatness, and he needs to be honored."
1: I, th- I think that's true. I think there's there's been there was a thought on in base uh, that in MLB perhaps that that C- Bowie Kuhn not being here was was a tremendous fight. I mean, how many bigger records in baseball have ever fallen than that one? And uh, and 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 I think that you, you know I I think that the baseball has been trying to make up for that uh, for many many years. But uh, you know I I think also that it's it's one of those things that you know this is this is a guy that when you affix the name Henry Aaron to something, I mean you're, I mean that's that's a very high standard of quality for for anything because I mean he's. You know, he, he was he was about as good as there ever was.
3: You know, and I think about down in your neck of the woods, when we start talking about college football, whether it's Georgia, Georgia Tech, obviously football was big. You got the Falcons, you think about hockey, you think about the NBA and Well, we baseball. don't
1: think about hockey too much. We we don't have a <laughs> hockey team anymore. <laughs> uh, we we,
3: <laughs> we we'd we'd be-
1: lost it we lost it. We've lost our second NHL team, so we don't we don't think about hockey much anymore.
3: Yeah, I mean, really, it's college football and a little NFL, and maybe the Hawks will yeah. be good. But I mean, are, yeah. is Henry Aaron the one thing in baseball? Because you've had all those great players. You had that great run of winning fourteen yeah. straight uh, with the Atlanta Braves, winning the East. But is it really Henry Aaron when you think of baseball? He's the staple.
1: Well, he he was the he was of course the the big name when the Braves came to Atlanta. Uh, and 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 the big name uh and, and a much bigger name when he, when he retired uh because uh because he 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 was the guy who beat the ruth record uh but yeah he, he's the first guy you think of but uh you know there have been some other good ones too and and uh, you know uh Dale murphy was pretty much the lone star in uh in the 80s but then the the 90s came along and and you know we've we, We've seen three pitchers and Chipper Jones and the manager going to the Hall of Fame. So uh, and and now Andrew Jones is uh, getting. Uh, he's rising up in the votes uh, there too. So yeah, I mean, the, when you think about a single player, you think about Aaron. But when you think about a team uh, and sustained greatness, I mean, we you can't beat the 14 in a row.
3: Well, when we get this thing going obviously, you know, Ron Washington's a good friend of ours, and we talked to Wash. This is a, a very good Atlanta Brave team. They, they, you know, there's a, there's a handful of teams that are really going to be in this thing, no matter how many games we play, about who's going to win the World Series, who's not. There's a lot of teams we can tell are not really going for it. But I got to think this will be a year for the Atlanta Braves not only have a very good team, but it uh, be interesting to see how the Braves honor Hank Aaron this season.
1: Oh, I, I imagine they'll – you know, do it. a lot of the season will be, you know, I, I would imagine he'd be on the cover of the media guide. I, you know, I, I think that that would, if they still have media guides, they usually do digital ones now. But uh, no, I mean, yeah, that's he's the biggest name in Atlanta Braves history. Yeah, there's just no doubt about that. But they're a good team. I mean, they they came pretty close to winning the World Series last year, and uh, and they've they've made moves in the off season. Uh, and getting Charlie Morton, especially that uh, they they should be no worse than they were last year, and they and they went to a game seven against the Dodgers in the LCS.
3: Yeah, I think we're all going to say that that NL East is going to be no day at the beach.
1: Yeah, they 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 always keep saying that though. But uh, you know, the Braves have won it three years in a row. So uh, um, uh, and the Phillies seem to have regressed, and I don't know what the Mets are doing uh, and. Uh, um, you know the 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 Nationals, of course, won the World Series two years ago. But uh, um, yeah, it, it's it's a hard division. But still, the the Braves have the Braves have won it without terrible strain three years running. And and I, I would think they would would certainly be favored to win it again.
3: Do you see what's going on in L. A. very remin- very reminiscent of what happened in Atlanta when they won that 14 straight years?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the time has changed. Uh, times have changed a great deal. Uh, they, you know, they, they they're about halfway there, right? They they won seven or eight in a row. They won eight, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and they're um, they're. I, I mean, they've got lots of money. The Braves at that time had lots of money, believe it or not. Uh, they and the Yankees would in the middle of all that. With they and the Yankees were like one two in spending. That that changed that has changed a great deal. The Braves are no longer, uh, in the top half of baseball in in, in payroll or anything like that. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, the Dodgers are really good and, and they've, uh, uh, you know, uh, they've, they've always had, you know, they, they they're, they're the standard now. And, uh, you know, they got their world championship last year and, you know, they're, you have to think that, that with uh, the way they they keep turning over their roster and finding value uh, in in lesser known players, uh, you know they're you know they, they you can't say they're not going to go away soon because they it's already been a long time and they haven't not gone away and uh, and they haven't gone away. I mean they're they're this is a, this is sort of a Braves like run, yes, but. Uh, but um, you know it, at the same time the, the braves did get to 14 which is just obscene when you think about it in in hindsight to finish first 14 consecutive uh completed seasons uh and and that and really that's the thing that people in baseball talk about the most when they talk about the Braves of the 90s they don't they don't talk as much about the one world series that they won they talk about the 14 first place finishes and just how hard that was to do
3: We truly appreciate the time remembering one of the great players of all time. Thank you so so much, Mark, for coming on. Be safe, and uh, hopefully we can talk during the baseball season.
1: That would be great. Thank you for having me.
3: Well, first off, before we start talking anything baseball, we want to know, how did the wedding go?
7: Uh, Successfully. I am married. Uh, I was actually just in the kitchen, uh, reorganizing some cabinets cause we got all these new like appliances and kitchen items. So I guess that's uh, a positive manifestation of the, <laughs> the wedding working as we both are continuing to work from home. And so, uh, home life and work life, uh, intersect more often than usual.
3: L- let's admit the last time we talked, we're manufacturing stuff, right? I mean, it was like, what are we going to talk about? And then now, I mean, the sport has absolutely exploded uh, Carlos Beltron part 2 where Jared Porter has been relieved of his duties as the GM we've got signings all over the place we knew the dam would break at some point and it has finally broken as we've got baseball news all over the place
7: yeah and the big question i think coming into the offseason was how frothy would the free agent market be would all of the lost revenue as a result of the pandemic in last season really affect uh, like where would it affect the market? The presumption is it wouldn't affect the top of the market because those are still elite players. There's still demand for those guys. Will, will it affect, you know, the lower end, the middle end? So far, what we've seen is the expected downturn. I think everybody expected once you get outside of those 50 million plus type players, uh, you would see guys taking huge discounts. What's happened so far is basically everyone that has signed has signed for either expectations or a little bit higher. And so now the sort of thought within the industry is when does the other shoe drop? When do all of these guys you know, all the all the seats are taken uh, in the musical chairs and somebody that we thought would get, you know, two times 10 has to settle for one times seven. Uh, what happened to Mike Lusakis for a couple off seasons in a row before he got his, you know, four times 16 with Cincinnati. Uh, when do those guys start signing up? So they, whoever gets left out has no incentive to sign yet. They're going to keep waiting for that to happen. But there's going to be an inflection point where essentially all the money is gone and whoever's left over has to sign for huge discounts, but it is not as bad as we thought it was going to be.
3: Yeah. And, and it's tough to tell your audience because we have been so conditioned that, all right, we all go to the winter meetings where, you know, it's supposed to be in Dallas this year and you have all the big signings and then, you know, they'll trickle down a little bit in, in January, maybe some in February, and then maybe some contracts right before spring training. And I was like, hey, listen, for us baseball people who do this year round, I have no problem stretching this thing out because this now gives me stuff to talk about in December, January. We're going to have signings in February. We're going to have signings leading all the way up to hopefully when we start spring training. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Padres seem to be the big winner of the off season. Uh, on the phone now is the Toronto Blue Jays. Not so fast.
7: Yeah, and it sounds like that you know the Mets may have another move in them. Yeah, I mean if they go get Trevor Bauer, then you know them and the Padres are probably sitting there atop uh, the heap of best off seasons. But then obviously you have the White Sox and the Blue Jays right there. And that was also before anybody signed for any money, the sort of uh, buzz within the game, you kind of see it reported by some of the scoops people and you know, people like me kind of project who's going to go where it was like, all right, it sounds like the White Sox and the Blue Jays are going to spend some money. Like, you know, it's, you know, it sounds like, you know, Dodgers probably going to dip in. And then once the Mets got new owners, like, all right, they're going to spend some money but I don't think we have enough spots to sort of spend on all the good players. And it's like, no, actually those, you know, throw in San Diego. It's like, yeah, there were, there were enough teams going that there are two guys there are two teams at least bidding for every free agent and top trade uh, target. And that's actually all you need. And that may be all we had in some of those situations. Once we uh, find out, you know, afterwards, how the, how the bidding went, a lot of these free agents that have signed pretty big deals, it wasn't more than two or three teams that were in there late. Uh, and luckily we just didn't have one where it was, you know, one team bidding and then the price goes way down.
3: Well, I got to tell you, if these rumors are true and Toronto's going to be picking up Michael Brantley to go with George Springer, basically you're taking two-thirds of the Astros outfield. I mean, wow, to go with all those young, terrific players that they have. That, I mean, you start looking at the American League East and you just go, wow. Wow.
7: Yeah. And I think the National League is also there with it looked like it was going to be uh, Atlanta and then probably Washington uh, with uh, you know, Miami doing the rebuild sort of on the way, headed in the right direction. And then the Mets announced themselves as they're going to be right up there at the top. Um, and then obviously the Phillies are spending a bunch of money. They just haven't been able to put it together yet. And it's like you got, you know, f- four should be competitive teams and one team that's on the way and then in the in, uh, ALEs. It's like, all right, well, Tampa Bay was the one that you, you know, was sort of like the dark horse, and now they're probably the favorite. Uh, and then, like you said, the rest of the division, like Boston now, is, uh, I guess Boston and Baltimore would be the two where you're not sure what they're going to do, but Boston's obviously going to be back soon, if not this year. And Baltimore is that, you know, that analog for Miami that's headed in the right direction, it's probably a couple years away, but they might be dangerous pretty soon.
3: You know, I kept saying on this show... There's no way J- DJ LeMay, who's leaving the Yankees. You just really, I mean, we saw Robbie Cano do it and look, you end up going, you get a bunch of money, but you go to Seattle and no one watches you play. I just, you know where he is in his career. I just, I had a hard time believing the Yankees were going to allow someone to outspend them. And I had a hard time believing DJ LeMay. Who was going to leave the Bronx.
7: And even the reported ones, which was basically the Dodgers might pick him, put him at third base and let Justin Turner walk seemed a little far-fetched and then toronto was kicking around on him and Lindor, and they also already had bichette guerrero and biggio in the infield so like both of those you could see it happening but it would be like a pretty bold move to kind of walk away from what's been working for you to then go get this guy who like you said like not only like you know uh took a real step up as a player in with the yankees but they also really need him and they have enough money to re-sign him and basically not anybody else they're not probably not going to sign tanaka or paxton uh, it, yeah, it just seemed like it, it fit too well to avoid it.
3: And still sitting out there is Trevor Bauer. Rumors out there that the Dodgers could be interested. You mentioned the Mets. I mean, the Blue Jays. supposedly were they, were in there at what time? At what time? How are you projecting Trevor Brow? Trevor Bauer at this point?
7: So the most recent sort of chatter that wasn't really like reported, but sort of you know scuttlebutt you hear in the industry was a the Dodgers. There's, for some reason, they are not acting on Justin Turner yet, and they didn't, didn't go heavy on LeMahieu. Um, so obviously, they've got some amount of money. I don't think they're afraid to go into the luxury tax. So there's not technically like a ceiling on how much they're going to spend. And I think they think they could use one more pitcher. So he makes sort of perfect sense there as like a hired gun, one-year deal, 25 maybe $30 million, uh, and then hit the market again next year when it might be a little more hardy. He'll have a couple of years of, of really elite performance instead of just you know, one and a half or two that he has right now. Uh, there was rumors at the beginning of the off season that the angels would make some sense, but in signing Quintana yesterday, uh, there's some thought that they might be, you know, done making their moves, that they didn't want to make a huge, uh, commitment. They want to do more one-year deals as Perry Manese the new GM, uh, did when he was in Atlanta, uh, under Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, obviously the Mets are sitting right there. The rumor is they're going to go in a luxury tax as well, but they're not there yet. And so Bauer could be the one to push them over the top. Um, but obviously they already have a pretty good <laughs> rotation. So they don't necessarily need them. In the same way the Mets didn't need Springer um but yeah Steve Steve Cohen is the kind of guy you'd be scared of uh and yeah and then you know you you can't really rule anyone out the Giants are actually the big sort of rumor as the team who is not really spending money this year who is rumored to have a lot of money to spend next offseason when they think their core will be coming together and then that next offseason with all those um shortstops will be available uh Correa uh, Lindor, if he doesn't sign an extension, Corey Seager, uh, Trevor Story, Javi Baez, uh, Chris Bryant, Freddie Freeman, that they're going to go, uh, especially with all this money coming off the books and the prospects coming up, that they're going to spend next offseason. It wouldn't shock me if they would be in the derby for Trevor Bauer for just this season to try to sneak into the playoffs, uh, You know, make a move. Uh, they have a long history now under uh, Farhan Zaidi of improving pitchers. And for one year, you're not taking on that much risk.
3: What are you hearing about our man, Marcus Simeon?
7: There was some chatter about a week ago that he was getting close to a deal. I wonder if that was sort of running parallel to some of the Lindor talk, that he's like sort of a backup option for some of the same teams. And I think he also intersects with the LeMahieu market. He's also represented by Wasserman, the same agency that represented LeMahieu, where it sounds like uh, the Dodgers especially were considering both of them along with Justin Turner. I think he's seen as a guy that fits at shortstop, but if you're a team that already has a shortstop, you can put him at second or third. He's probably not a one-year deal in the same way that Andrelton Simmons, a couple other free agents, may be, because uh, he doesn't want to hit that market next offseason. I was just talking about with the other shortstops. Yeah. Uh, but you probably don't want to go four years, so it's probably a two or three-year deal. And it sounds like it's mostly competing teams that see him as a possible multi-positional fit, right-hand hitter that can play all over the field, which obviously we've seen in recent years. The teams that you know make it deep in the playoffs tend to have one or two sort of too many uh, good uh, position players for that sort of opening day lineup. And then by the time he gets to playoffs, they have sort of just the right amount. So, you know, 11 or 12 position players kind of turns into eight or nine by the time you get deep in the playoffs. So I think he's going to fit with one of those teams. I think the Dodgers are probably the next one to watch because they seem like the contender with the most money to spend that hasn't made a huge move yet.
3: Okay. So if the A's do lose Marcus Simeon and Billy Bean calls you and David Force calls you and they want, okay, where should we go from here? You, somebody's got to play shortstop. I don't think Nick Allen is ready. Uh, where do you go if you're the A's? It's a good question.
7: There's a, they have shown in the past that they are not as married to the idea of we need the Ray Ardoñez type shortstop. Like Simeon Messina probably is an a shortstop, and he turned into one while he was there. Uh, I was actually told that the years that, that Oakland went for Simeon, their backup plan was Kike Hernandez to become sort of the everyday shortstop. Um, so they're not afraid of, of sort of that second base utility, maybe third base sort of guy and figure out a way to make him into a shortstop. Uh, I mean, right now, if, once you you know go into the area where you think they'd be willing to spend, uh, you get Dede Gregorius, who might be a one or two year deal for you know eight or 10 million a year. There's a number of second basemen. Obviously, Justin Turner, I mentioned, is a third baseman. Uh, and then you get down to like sort of Andrew Elton Simmons and some of the sort of just perfectly fine sort of options. So there's not really like a you know, a center cut sort of option where for a one or two year deal for eight or 10 million a year, you're getting exactly what you want, unless they really like DD Gregorius, in which case I think he, he could fit, uh, but he obviously comes with some words as well.
3: You know, a guy that we loved. And once you put him into the A's lineup, it really changed the lineup was Tommy Listello and they brought him over from Anaheim. Uh, rumors are he could be returning to the athletics. Where are you on the 31 year old free agent, second baseman?
7: There was some buzz at the beginning of the offseason that he may be in line for a three-year, $30-plus plus million deal as a guy that's sort of first base, second base, DH, maybe left field, uh, can really hit, has been trending up in that regard, and is sort of a solid bet to, you know, sort of find a place in the lineup. Um, it sounds like that market may not have materialized in quite the same way. Uh, I would I would assume Oakland wouldn't be there for three, for 30-plus. Uh, but I think, you know, anywhere a, a notch or two below that, they would be in play. And I think now as that sort of top of the free agent position player market is playing out, we're getting an idea of where that second tier is, where I think it's a little more Nelson Cruz, Marcelo, Zuna, and obviously Lestelle has a little more positional flexibility than those two. But they're, they're all sort of in the bat first, uh, you know, DH is a real option in terms of where you might play them sort of option, whereas, whereas at sec, like pure second baseman, there's still a lot of options, Colton Wong, Cesar Hernandez, Jerks and Profar. Johnson Scope. Uh, There's just all kinds of options there if somebody wants a pure second baseman. Uh, And then, obviously, I think Oakland's current team right now has a lot of guys that probably fit best at second or third. Um, But then, obviously, with, you know, not necessarily a true shortstop and Matt Chapman, that kind of limits your options a little
3: bit. So, my uh, producer, Commander Cody, uh, was just perplexed. Cody, you can join where A.J. Puck was not a top-10 left-handed pitcher uh, considered as a prospect. And uh, Kylie, I, I said, the guy hasn't been able to stay healthy. How can he continue to be a top 10 prospect for lefties?
7: He's a tricky one. Uh, I think we're probably going to see similar things with him and uh, raised lefty, Brendan McKay, as they both had sort of, I guess we'll say extensive arm issues. Brent Honeywell with the Raiders another one that have been sort of perennial top 100 prospects. Uh, McKay and Puck specifically, I think have been top 20, top 25 in pretty much every every service, including mine. And yeah, at some point when, you know, the, there's, there's uh, something to the sort of inertia theory of, of pitching prospect health, which is guys that are hurt tend to stay hurt, and guys that are healthy tend to stay healthy. And so once you've been hurt for the better part of a couple of years, uh, you know, there's other sexier guys that kind of slide ahead of you. But then also it's like, well, can we just assume that this guy's going to continue getting hurt? Whereas, you know, like Lazardo had Tommy John surgery uh, right around when he was drafted out of high school. And then, like, hasn't really had, like, huge arm problems in a way. Like, sometimes these guys, like Jacob DeGrom, did the same thing. He had TJ early in his career, hasn't really had trouble later. And then there's some guys like Strasburg who have two TJs, and then between them, they have really not that many problems either. So there's, like, all kinds of different versions of how, uh, how arms react to arm surgery. Uh, but it would not surprise me if there is somebody that leaves AJ Puck off of their top 100, and then he has three good starts, and they update their top 100 and kind of slide him in the top 50, and don't say anything about it because he's one of those guys with a really wide error bar. I could I could see this season going a bunch of different ways for him.
3: You know, I want to give you guys some love at ESPN because I don't think you guys get enough love for what you do covering the game. You know, uh, with you and Buster and Schoenfeld and all you guys, I, I think at the website. I think you guys do a good job covering baseball as anyway, as anybody. I mean, you can go right now and I'm on it. Every single free agent, you've got the free agent tracker. will tell you who they played for, who their new team is. And there's a lot of no new teams, but I mean, you guys cover baseball as good as anybody. And if you had to project who's the next big name off the board, who would it be?
7: That is a good question. Um, if we say big names, so we'll say like top 10 to 15 kind of free agents? Yeah. Um, I mean, Brantley seems like a, <laughs> a fair one to throw out there since he technically hasn't agreed to terms, but it's been reported widely that he had. Uh, I Yeah, I, I would say probably Bauer of the top guys. I, I think his market is coming into focus now. I think almost all of the top starting pitchers, other than Tanaka, who may be going back to Japan, uh, have signed the top of the starting pitcher trade market has, has sort of finished the teams that have money other than the dodgers has basically spent it uh so i think that report from jeff uh whatever that was a couple hours ago uh that's in line with what i've been hearing the last couple of weeks that it seems like it's starting to get narrowed down and he only has so many places to go i still think it's gonna end up being a one-year deal maybe one with an option maybe two like somewhere on the short end of things so he can sort of prove it because uh, he also kind of has the you know, supreme confidence in himself to be able to achieve whatever it is he set out to do. But I I think uh, Ozuna and Nelson Cruz may be some of the later ones to move just because not knowing what the NLDH situation is, they can't really move. And Rio Muto, I haven't gotten the sense that he is close to a deal yet. I think he's still shopping around to try to find that Springer-type deal, which I'm not sure he's going to find. So that leads me to Bauer.
3: Well, I got to tell you, once again, uh, you guys do a great job at ESPN. You really do.
7: Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate We We have uh, we've sort of, uh, I wouldn't say stumbled into, it's not like I'm the one in charge of hiring all these people, but uh, I think I think we've also kind of uh, put together a nice team of people. Obviously, you know, Jeff doing most of the news breaking and then I'm doing, you know, most of the prospect stuff and Buster does a lot of sort of pull the industry and, you know, what the, what's he hearing about, you know, news and notes and things like that. And then uh, Schoenfeld doing more of the reaction news stuff. Like, I think we have, you know, some of the best at each of those things. And then each of us has a couple little crossover things we can do where, you know, Buster or I might pitch in on a, uh on a you know scoop thing here or there uh and you know schoenfeld will you know do some sort of news and notes things around the industry like i think i think we got a nice sort of mix of guys and i i tend to agree that when i go to the you know espn.com MLB and just sort of look around i'm like man we're like uh we're staying on top of this stuff <laughs> with, with not the biggest roster in the world
3: well hey remember this first couple of years of marriage she's always right you just got to remember that. <laughs> There's been a lot of, where do you want to put the food processor? I'm like, I don't know. Where do you want to put it? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what color towels should we have? I don't care. It's a towel. Just what, whatever color you want. Yeah. Just pick it.
7: As long as it towels.
3: <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, you're the best. We appreciate it. Be well. We'll talk soon.
7: Yep. Thanks for having me.
3: Ted, how you Hello. doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletic.
0: Chris Townsend. How the heck are you?
3: We are doing well, and I was just thinking about it having you on again. Did you ever think a guy who grew up in New York, graduated from the University of Oklahoma a year sooner, and then would spend so much time in beautiful San Diego? Did you ever envision that?
0: No, because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a realist, and, and those kind of things don't occur to me. that such wonderful, wonderful things could happen to me in my lifetime, and that's part of what happened.
3: You know, we've talked about, you know, whether it was, you know, I grew up in San Diego, I've told you that, whether it's Billy Bean or myself watching you, and you just think about your career on the local news, Padres, Aztecs, Chargers, Clippers, television, radio, just just an amazing career. Congratulations, you've earned everything.
0: I appreciate it very much. And it's fascinating because I really never had eyes that big, as my mother would say. <laughs> you got big eyes. You, you couldn't finish that meal. You got big eyes. And, and the same thing I never had. I never had. I was lucky. I think that's good because you have really good to have goals and, and you know, work hard and be ambitious. But I never had big eyes like that. I was at, uh, in fact, before Oklahoma, I was at Oklahoma State for undergraduate work and we worked at the campus radio station, and I we did the campus, uh, I did the campus, uh, the varsity football and basketball play-by-play on the campus station, and I thought, you know what, you know what, Chris, if I could get a job at whatever university and radio station in, in that city, and do and, and play-by-play of football and basketball, in a, for college, I'd be satisfied and happy the rest of my life based on my love of, of play-by-play, and I did that, and it, grew and grew and grew, and like you said, became television sports and talk shows and NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball play-by-play, and I just uh, I pinch myself and think, this all happened, but you know what, dummy? It didn't just happen because of you. It happened because every time I turned around, somebody was there to help me, give me a break, give me great advice, and I wish I'd had that advice in my personal life, then probably I would not have been divorced four times, but professionally (laughs) speaking... (laughs) A wonderful, wonderful, unbelievable run.
3: Yeah, you know, me growing up down there and and at night listening to you and Jerry Coleman was so special, and I just think – You know, Ted, 41 years with one franchise is, you know, people dream of that kind of run where we see so many different people move market to market to market to know, as you always said, my Padres, uh, 41 years. Congratulations in Major League Baseball. There's very few in the history of the game that have a run like that.
0: I, I know that, and I appreciate that very, very much. And I've heard from a lot of them who have, and others obviously who have passed, that I think about all the time that never occurred to me. I could have a run in terms of, you know, years like a Jack Buck and and, and Mel Allen and people like that. It just, it staggers me. And uh, the idea that, uh, hey, if Vince Scully is as great as there is, you know, could do 60, 67 years, whatever. And if I could do 41, I'll take it. And I'm not comparing myself to Vinny in any way, if nobody should, and I certainly don't. But it's been absolutely amazing to me to have that run, and you mentioned Jerry Coleman, my partner. And here's here's a kid, me, a vendor, at Yankee Stadium as, as a kid in New York, and and going along, looking to my left, I see Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and Elston Howard and Yogi Berra playing, and I look up to my right. If even then, I wanted to do something in sports and sports broadcasting. I'd look at the press box and I'd see Mel Allen, Red Barber, Joe Garagiola, and and Jerry Coleman broadcasting the games, and then then I would spend please. This is like, you know, somebody would write this as a fiction novel. I've spent 35 years with that same Jerry Coleman side by side doing Padre baseball. That's You can't dream that. You can't think that. You can't have that as a goal. You'll be very disappointed. And all of it happened to me.
3: Yeah, and Jerry Coleman, what a special man. People forget what a, what a terrific player he was and the championships that he was a part of, but he always said, you know, the Ford C. Frick Award was big, but getting into the Marine Hall of Fame meant more to him. Uh, just talk about your guys' relationship, because that's, you know, that's a long time for two guys to be together.
0: And, 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 uh, it just, and I've always said this to everybody, that uh, we never in 35 years and I say this, by the way, with all my partners in football and in, in basketball and in, in baseball, especially, never once has there been a look at each other and say, what the hell you say that for? Or that was stupid. <laughs> or what are you doing? And that yeah, that kind of thing. It's, it's never been so much as a raised eyebrow, a text or an email in the later years with each other with any kind of, of, of anger, any kind of disappointment. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I've mentioned four divorces, but i tell you what, my, the greatest relationship I ever had was with my partners. always, always, because Sherry told me that. Your job is to make your partner look good. Never correct him on the air. Never try to top him when he says something. Oh, yeah, but here's so-and-so. Add a statistic or something on top of that. Never do that. I learned from him, and it was an absolute white being. Not, not just learning, but a guy who played... You know, was Mickey Mantle's roommate and played with DiMaggio and all those guys against Willie Mays and Jackie Robinson and all those great players, that it was like going to Cooperstown and, and being with the Hall of Fame every day broadcasting with Jerry. And like you said, I was at that uh, event in, in, uh, when they inducted him just before he we went into the uh, broadcast wing of the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. We stopped there in Quantico. And had the big dinner when he was installed in the Marine Corps Sports Hall of Fame. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and then the Commandant of the Marine Corps walks in, going toward the podium. He sees Jerry, who he knows, <laughs> unbeknownst to us, not just of him but knows him. And the Commandant, the, the three-star general, makes a beat line and, and makes a right turn and goes right to Jerry and has a face-to-face conversation with him for a minute and a half before the program can begin. And I said to Jerry later. Why didn't you tell me to do the commandant to the Marine Corps? I, I don't know. Nobody. You know, I didn't think it was a big deal. <laughs> that was Jerry. His, his his ego was taken out at, at birth. Somebody once sent me a uh, uh, picture of Jerry Coleman Day when he returned from the Korean combat as a fighter pilot and was given that day at Yankee Stadium. And there was Mel Allen at the microphone as the MC. And there's a guy in a Navy dress uniform with all these medals. And I say to Jerry when I get this picture from a fan, a listener. Jerry, isn't that Admiral Bull Halsey, one of the greats of all time? Yeah. He was at your day when you came back at Yankee City? Yeah. Jerry, it was just life. No ego, no boasting, no telling stories about hope. Bull Halsey came to mind. And that day, later on, when I emceed Jerry Coleman Bay at San Diego at Petco Park, when they, when they opened and, and showed the new statue to him, Bull Halsey, General Halsey's granddaughter was there. And I thought now that is coming full circle and that is beautiful.
3: Wow. And you know, when I think about, you know, someone like a Billy Bean, what's that like for you when a guy like Billy Bean goes, I've been watching you my entire life.
0: (laughs) It's been, you know what? And, And I always talk about this with Jesse Agler, my partner, who's taking over for me. Jesse, the money's good. You know, it's not great. We're not in a huge market. The money's good, but you know what's better? The relationship and the brotherhood we have with all the broadcasters whom we see when they come into Petco and we go on the road back in the normal days of traveling with the team and getting to know, I mean, come on, getting to know Jack Buck, getting to know Vin Scully, getting to know John Miller. I mean, that's just uh, all the guys with the Giants, by the way, and with the A's and and Ken Korak, uh, one of my fellow San Diego State guys, and and just becoming friends and that friendship means so much to me that it's absolutely been amazing you know, to be in that business and, and to have that. And that has been so precious, all of that. Plus, you meet some incredibly famous people, like you said. For Billy Bean to say that, you know, Billy Bean is a genius. I'm not sure if people understand that. Billy's a genius. He will be in the Hall of Fame for somebody who innovated and changed baseball. And uh, he doesn't go around telling everybody about that. I remember when, when Moneyball came out and I talked to him on the air in an interview on my talk show back then. And I said, Billy, they're talking about you being egotistical because you mentioned this and you mentioned that. You didn't write the book. (laughs) Lewis wrote the book. You didn't write the book. And he laughed and we laughed. And, you know, that's the kind of thing. But they don't understand that Billy is different from almost every general manager and then co-president and what have you in baseball. And for him, really, to even know my name is part of what I'm talking about. Beyond the money, beyond the local fame, it's knowing of Billy B. I had the same situation one time at a shopping center in San Diego, and someone tapped me on my shoulder, and uh, it was, uh, trying to think what just flew out of my mind, Not g- who became a dear friend, Wally Schirra. It was Wally Schirra, one of the original Mercury 7 astronauts who had uh, gone in Mercury, Gemini, and had a moon mission, the only person to ever do that, and a fighter pilot, like Jerry Coleman, and uh, one of my all-time heroes were the Mercury 7 astronauts, from the '60s, who invented spaceflight—the bravest men and frontier-busting people you can ever meet—and Wally Schirra watches me on television and stops me and says, "Hey, Dad, I'm Wally Schirra," and I, like I wouldn't know looking at it that it was and, and, and that and that kind of. Then he would come on my radio shows and we would go to lunch and stuff like that. And I'm mm-hmm. picturing myself talking to my you know, beloved parents who are gone. I'm sitting here with Captain Wally Schirra, astronaut, United States. Navy, and so forth, and he introduced me to John Glenn. He introduced me to other people like that, and and in this business to have that, when you're just some local snook, which is all I ever was, some vendor from Yankee Stadium, and to have this career and meet these amazing people, it has been absolutely, In in and in, in, last time that Padres were in San Francisco, a couple of seasons ago, when we were obviously on the road, uh, I walked out of the, of the broadcast booth, and General Yeager, Chuck Yeager in a wheelchair, was right down the way there. And I walked up and I, having been in the army, I gave General Yeager a salute. And he smiled and I smiled and I said, thank you. And I walked by and everybody knows he's the one that broke the sound barrier, and an amazing fighter pilot and so forth, just recently passed away, one of the great Americans. To meet these people, when I consider myself nothing, this business has given me all of that and so much more.
3: Yeah, hanging out with astronauts got to be a little bit bigger than uh, Colin Michael Cage blocking out and getting a rebound.
0: <laughs> I can't, I can't, Wally told me a great story. Wally Sherat told me a great story that uh, two of his buddies, Neil, Neil Armstrong and, and another astronaut, we were going to a speaking engagement when they're late in their 70s. And they had a ferocious uh, thunderstorm on the way from Boston to New York, I believe it was, or vice versa. And uh, they were sitting in first class. And the, uh, that young flight attendant had no idea who they were. <laughs> and uh, the, the thunderstorm the plane was rocking all over the place. And uh, one of the astronauts is sleeping. And Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon, is reading a book. And she squats down next to Neil on the aisle, or Mr. Armstrong, and says to him, it'll be okay. And the and Armstrong looks at her and says, what will? It's just a thunderstorm. It's no big deal. <laughs> he says, oh, okay, it's all right. I'm fine. She doesn't know. She's talking to a man who's been a fighter pilot, who test piloted all these things, who landed on the moon while he was running out of fuel, and calmly said 500, 300, and figured there's nothing left there. We have no fuel, and calm as can be, going over the boulders, trying to find a place. As as the, lem the lem is lunar lander is coming in, and uh, and he, and the other astronaut wakes up next to him, and uh, says, "What does she want?" And and well, uh, and uh, Neil Armstrong says, "She thinks you're scared." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these guys are real scared in a thunderstorm on a on a, a seven thirty-seven. Uh-huh.
3: You know, you're leaving the Padres in a pretty good place as they've had a, you know, last year, obviously, a quick season, but got in the postseason, made some really good pitching moves uh, here in the offseason. And if there's 162 games, I think we're expecting a nice battle there in the NL West between the Dodgers and the Padres. Talk about what you see for San Diego coming up here this season.
0: I tell you what, the, the one thing that people, especially in my own company, the Padres, Say, you're leaving at the wrong time. <laughs> no, I always say, my timing is not the best. It's never been the best. But I fully realize, having seen the acquisition of the prospects and now the acquisition of, of amazing, amazing pitchers, you know, that uh, I've never seen. There hasn't ever been the potential of a of a, uh, of a uh, kind of a starting rotation where you have these guys, where you have you Darvish and Blake Snell and Nelson Lamette hopefully coming back from injury, and Chris Paddock, hopefully bouncing back, but with great stuff and makeup and toughness. There's never been a Padre rotation that four and possibly five deep ever. And with Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis and these other players, you know, the general manager, AJ Preller, has given away about 31 prospects that he acquired and still has not given away, for the most part, the top and best prospects that are that major league ready. And so to be able to do this you're right. This could be. I'm not saying there's a 1998 Padres that went to the World Series. I'm not saying they're that club, but even that club with Kevin Brown and Andy Ashby and Joey Hamilton, I think there's a possibility, greatly, that this starting rotation will be better than the '98 club, and that says a lot. Padre fans, I think, are going into an era not just you know winning a division title in '96 and then down to last place in '97, then back in '98. I think for the first time, they're going to have continued success year to year to year with all this talent and an incredible ownership that says, whatever, if Manny Machado's $300 million, give it to him. That's never happened in San Diego with any ownership in any sport, not just the Padres. And that's Peter Seidler. And with that kind of backing and that kind of brilliant general manager with Preller, I think the best times ever, continuously, like I said, for Padre fans are about to begin whenever this season is about to begin.
3: So our fan base understands, you know, Bill King would go from, you know, Raiders, Warriors, A's. Uh, Ted Leitner is the exact same thing in San Diego. So with all the travel, all the cities, all the different teams you've been doing for all these years, what are you going to do now?
0: That's a very good question. Might go out of my mind. (laughs) Thank God for uh, San Diego State football and basketball because I'm still under contract to them and looking forward to it greatly. They've given me, my gosh, let's be honest, versus the Padres, San Diego State's given me much, many more wins over the last 10 years in an amazing football and basketball program, which has been, again, good up to this very time, though I'm not I'm for the first time not traveling with them and, and doing road games off of television. It's been amazing and bizarre and weird, and hopefully things will be normal but uh, it's not so much through the year, which has always been, as you said, as Bill did, nobody did it like Bill King. And that's just, and, and nobody was any better, by the way, than Bill King, that when you go from the spring training, which is finishing up with your basketball and then the NCAA and conference tournaments and right into the baseball season through in September, when that overlaps with, you know, major league uh, baseball and your college football, which rolls into the combination of college basketball and football, which rolls right in again in the spring training with the basketball Ain't no vacations, but if you want to do that and you have the opportunity like Bill did, and thank God that I've done it, it's absolutely wonderful. So to answer your question in less than five minutes, which is unlike me, it will be still football and basketball. I just don't know, Chris, what the hell am I do with my summers? I haven't had a summer without baseball since 1979, and that's going to be a challenge, and I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. I will miss baseball if I like tremendously, especially with a franchise that I've loved. You know, since I began in 1980, when that aforementioned Jerry Coleman left the broadcast booth, became the manager of the club, and that gave me the opportunity to get my foot in the door as a broadcaster, and here I was 41 years later still doing it.
3: Well, we wanted to honor you today because, as you know, and I can speak for Billy Bean, as we grew up watching you as kids, we've always been huge fans. Uh, you, you're a star down there, and you've had one of the great careers as a broadcaster in so many different sports and what you did local TV and local radio. We wanted to honor you and say congratulations, truly from the bottom of my heart. You've had one of the best careers we've ever seen.
0: Chris, I appreciate that very, very much, and and you tell Billy I'll be at Cooperstown when he's inducted into the Hall of Fame if I'm still alive at 73. I sure hope so, and I appreciate all your kind words. I really, really do.
3: You're the best. Be well. Be safe. Thank you, Chris. You too.
2: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.